sloppy spoilers with your host, DT2. What's up, y'all? DT2 Comics Chat here. Welcome to another episode of Sloppy Spoilers. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Alien Resurrection. Alien Resurrection is the fourth entry in the Alien series, and we've got a lot to say, because this is another movie where it's almost like a love it or hate it kind of thing. But let me bring in my co-host, and we're going to dive right in. Welcome to the show, David Nemesis Howard. What's up, Nemesis? Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am, uh, I guess I'm looking forward to talking to all of you. I was not looking forward to seeing this movie again. So let's see how this goes. <laughs> let's say welcome to Steve, Shade Wing Sellers. What's up, Steve? Oh, not too bad. Uh, I have found serenity, and it's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> far from a resurrection, uh, this is the movie that nearly killed the alien franchise. But that makes it uh, particularly fun to talk about. Wow, I found serenity is in this movie. Welcome to Jeff, Dr. Faye Bracey. What's up, Bracey? Welcome to space, where <laughs> no one can hear you meme. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Alien Resurrection. Uh, we're going to start off like we normally do. We're going to give general impressions. I'll tell you mine. That being, this movie is a string of ideas that probably work better on paper because little to none of them work well in execution, but it also makes me feel like they weren't that good on paper to begin with, okay? This movie is an example. This is another example. Remember, you've heard me talk about when we say studio interference, when we talk about when the studio is kind of meddling with it and they've jettisoned all ideas of a good story. And they say, well, we need this scene and we need to see this and we need to see that. Um, but this movie fails at the premise. And we're, <laughs> gonna just, we're gonna dissect that. The basic concept that they use to structure the movie around, it fails at the premise line, it's a complete fail. Once you fail at the premise line, there's no amount of smoke and mirrors and CGI and editing and anything that's gonna make it better, okay? It's not gonna happen. If you put a, a pound of ground beef in your lemon cake, no amount of bacon is gonna make that cake taste good. You're gonna come out with cake with a hamburger in the middle, okay? And so this movie fails from the jump. From the jump it fails, and I'll tell you why. Then I'll throw it out to my co-host for overall initial thoughts. The reason this movie fails from the premise is because they fundamentally fail to understand that the nature of the Alien franchise is the story world that they set up is broad enough for many different adventures. They concluded Ripley's story and they should have left it where it was. Now, if you watched our review of Alien 3, we didn't like that either, but it was the end of Ripley's story. It wasn't the end that we wanted, but it was a definitive end. They should have left that alone, okay? If they wanted to use other ideas uh, in this movie, they could have done it, but the whole idea of bringing Sigourney back as Ripley or 
Clone Ripley or Ripley number eight, fail. Nothing about that is a viable story concept. Not one thing. And as we discuss it, I'll show you why. It failed from the jump. There's no way you can win when you fail from the premise. Okay. The story world is built. It's built to let other characters fight the aliens. That's the fun of the xenomorphs. But when you make it be about Ripley, fail. Okay. All right. So let's hear initial thoughts. Start with Nemesis. Yeah. In in our last episode where we talked about Alien 3, we said uh, if Alien 3 is a desecration, I said that this movie was an abomination. Yes. And uh, I absolutely believe that after having watched this movie for the second time in my life, Lord help me. Uh, yeah, it was an abomination for exactly the reasons you're talking about. Um, I'll just say almost none of the movie science or movie logic in this movie has any basis in fact on the preceding three movies that came before it, except for the chestburster part and there's a queen. And even that is, is they play around real fast and loose with, you know, and they try and cover it up by saying, oh, we did it 300 or 200 years in the future or whatever. No, just no, because certain things, if you're going to take some of the leaps that I'm sure we're going to talk about, then you need to explain them on screen because this movie, even more so than the last one, really relied on fans of the franchise to start making up their own theories about how things work and everything else, which as we talked about before is, is just not a good sign. It's not a good sign when you're going in with that as the premise. So that's right. That's right. Go ahead, Steve. Initial thoughts. Uh, this movie is incredibly dumb. <laughs> I can't sugarcoat that. This movie makes absolutely no sense from the jump. Uh, from how in the world they cloned her after the last movie, where she was completely atomized. <laughs> what did what did they take to to do to to clone her, especially after two hundred years? You're telling me that cell samples from her blood survived two hundred years after she atomized herself in in a furnace? No, no. And that is the beginning. Everything else just <laughs> continues to get more and more ridiculous and nonsensical from there. I will say it's you know it's more fun. I didn't feel like I wanted to slit my wrists like I did with Alien 3. I mean, you know, it, it's something where I could sit through it at the very least, you know, without having to step away from it because of pure abject misery. I'll give it that over Alien 3. But on the other hand, everything is completely dumb. I mean, it completely disrespects the lore, as what it said. And the few ideas that do make sense work better on another show that Joss Whedon created, most notably Firefly. <laughs> Basically, Firefly is this movie. <laughs> transplanted and and with everything better um and everything else is just complete nonsense and and ridiculous and yeah the, the, it, it almost killed the franchise and for good reason that's right remember at the end of batman and robin we had to wait from 97 to 2005 to see batman begins that's how badly batman and robin stunk up the screen same mm -hmm. thing go ahead bracing in defense of the movie, I will say that the samples likely came from when she was in the infirmary. Uh, they're not digging her out of molten lead. But even then, <laughs> you can only stretch those cells so far. <laughs> you know? Over uh, 200 years. 300 years of cloning. So I, I'm trying to be charitable. Uh, because <laughs> there's a lot of ideas in this movie that I do like. Uh, unfortunately, they're all just poorly executed. Uh, they, I appreciate the fact that they tried to do a lot of new things. And uh, 
go in a different direction, bring new things to the table. I think that's what brought Sigourney Weaver back in. Uh, she wasn't just playing the same character. It's like we've got a really cool new way for you to play an extension of that character. And I can definitely see the appeal and um, and the uh, the possibilities in that. But it just uh, this film is like uh, I remember watching it and thinking like this is like a comic book from like the the sixties where like stuff didn't have to make sense. It just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now, keying in off of that, um, Sigourney Weaver is one of my favorite actresses, so I don't want to disparage her in any way, but she was an exec producer and she did have some say over the story and the whole idea of her making love to the alien, the whole idea of there being sexual tension between them was her idea. And I was like, mm, 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 mm. so, <laughs> Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna start at the root of what we just talked about because that's key. So first of all, I'm not familiar enough with DNA technology to speak authoritatively, but uh, if you freeze it, how long is it viable? The reason I say that is because what about frozen eggs? What about when a woman gets her eggs frozen? How long is that gonna last? If it was still viable, to, if it was viable tech at all we'd have perfected cryogenics and we don't. So you can't convince me that over a two to 300 year period, some type of DNA samples, unless you try to do a Jurassic Park thing and you get something frozen in amber, there was no amber in this one. Number two, even if you go to samples in the infirmary and you scrub that whole place down to get that kind of thing, then let's review this idea. A pregnant woman that dies is not merged with the baby if you bring her back. Mm. That was, that was exactly. the whole idea here. Yeah, that, the chest burster still being in there when they cloned her made no sense to me. That yeah, it makes, no sense. makes no sense. It makes no sense because they have to be implanted. And even if you brought her back, you would not bring it back. And even if you brought it back, it would not be merged with her. And, so, give, her, and give her acid blood and all the others like, it altered her DNA. I thought it was like, excuse me? So what we got was a Spider-Man situation. When Peter Parker got bitten by a radioactive spider, he got all the cool parts about being a human spider except spinning his own webs. That's another conversation. So in other words, as his DNA changed, he just took the cool parts. So he got super strength. He got super speed. He got spider sense. He got the sticky hands and the sticky feet. That's kind and of what they did here. <laughs> what did you say, Bracey? And he didn't go around eating people. Right, didn't go around eating people. So that's kind of the idea here that somehow we could we could get a merger of the two until we get something that's not quite or whatever. So from an actor's point of view, I can completely understand wanting to play something different because most of them do, especially if you built, mm-hmm. if, if your signature character is something you've been doing for like 20 years now. I can see, I can understand that, but from a narrative point of view, nothing about clone Ripley from the jump. And then on top of all that, I thought it was funny that as they watched her grow, she grew like this. So she grew very conveniently, you know, I know I'm naked, so I'm gonna grow in, I know I'm naked pose. I always thought that was really funny. But anyway, and then, <laughs> and then if they wanted to add insult to injury, they start off with a quote from Newt. My mommy yeah. told me there weren't any real monsters, not real ones, but there are. 
I'm like, so y'all want to remind us what y'all did to me. That's not the smartest. Oh, I'm telling you, it fails from the premise line. And so, and then when you add all that up on top of that, you can't have enough science and enough technology and enough foreknowledge of the aliens to have them bring Ripley back, but extract the baby queen, but not have technology in place to contain an alien outbreak. Because the whole rest of the movie is them failing to contain what happened. I'm like, how are you gonna have 200 years to study a phenomenon and it don't occur to you? <laughs> don't occur to you to put acid proof anything anywhere. It yeah. don't occur to you to, to put them in a cage, in a cage, it's just like shark movies. That's why shark movies don't scare me because they're so stupid. They didn't make me laugh because they so like deep blue sea, you're going to go out in the shark's environment and you're going to give it super intelligence and make it super strong. And you ain't got nowhere to go because you're surrounded by four up to million tons of water. What could go wrong? How did this happen? See, no. That's that right. Well, in the middle of Arizona. <laughs> okay. Right, 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 right. You wouldn't put a shark tank in a desert like somebody with some sense of the shark get out. They'll be floundering. No, 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 no. You want to be in the water, okay? <laughs> How are you going to create a situation with a creature that you know multiplies? You're trying to get it to multiply. You want it to multiply, and the idea of containing an outbreak does not occur to you one time. So you can see from the jump, I'm out of this movie. So I just, you know, experienced it, but I wasn't in it because too dumb. So I know we've talked about it, but if you have any additional thoughts, let me hear your additional thoughts. Or just the premise, because um, I love what Steve said, you know, yeah. about the DNA thing. And I love what Jeff said if they went to the infirmary. But, you know, it's a stretch. You know, what did you get? Like, you know, a piece of skin from your shoulder? Uh, yeah. Well, let me hear about that. Start with Bracey. Okay. Okay. I imagine that when they brought her on board from the, the pod, they would have, you know, done some blood tests, you know, done a whole makeup. Uh, and this is, again, me being charitable. Because just like we talked about last time, I'm having to do the work of the movie. Yes. The movie should be able to explain this to me, if not showing me at least in some exposition and more than a throwaway line. Uh, I'm having to think about, like, well, how do we preserve something? Well, we know Ripley herself, her entire body, was preserved for 57 years in, a, in the hypersleep. So they arguably do have that technology. But you've always got to assume, just like I always would say in my, uh, my comic book reviews for something new or uh, uh, part of a series, you always have to assume this is somebody's first time reading this. You have to assume this is somebody's first time watching the Alien franchise. You need to establish the world and its rules, let people know what's going on so they can jump in fast. But if you, if you just leave it out in the open, then, you know, we, we just kind of have to make up our own story. And we can easily come to the wrong conclusions if you don't give us those guideposts to follow. And that's why a lot of this movie fails. Absolutely. Go ahead, Nemesis. Yeah, I was going to say, um, this movie, I mean, this may sound really nerdy, but it failed right off the bat science-wise for me when they said that they were had cloned this Ripley who now has all the, the like we were talking about, the good parts of the alien. You know, she's got alien <laughs> blood. She's, she's doing, she's Michael Jordan now. You know, all the other stuff going on. And, uh Flown from a positron. Yeah. And, you know, so right there, it just failed. And, and then I was never into it at all at that point. Because to me, 
the whole premise of the film that Ripley's here and what's going to happen with her, to me, it just didn't make any sense at all. And it's like, if you were going to establish that, you needed to show me to the, that to be last movie, or you need to do a retcon in this movie and show me a scene we didn't see for the last movie, establish that something, you know? And so that was there. And then, you know, you hit really well on the other thing that really stands out. You know, there's, there's two other things just for the premise. The other one was uh, the, the prison. It's like if anyone has ever been to a prison, if everyone has ever been to uh, a fort, you know, military installation, so trying to get in instead of getting out, you always have defense and depth. You have layer after layer. So even if you break through the first layer, then you're in the inside the wall, that wall, and another wall. And usually there's another wall past that. You know, that's why it's so hard to get out of those places. It's like here, it's like, boom, now I'm in the ventilation system. Woo, you know, I'm going crazy and, and running around. It's like, and not only that, they talked about how thin the walls of the ship were. And if you shot off a gun and go through the ship, well, this acid's going through. So right there, I'm sitting there. The, how many decks did it eat through on the Nostromo? But it conveniently stopped right in the ventilation shaft here. So I'm like, oh, come on. You know, and then the last thing I'm just going to say, um, this is, goes back just a minute, but I just want to say it. You know, just like we've talked as writers that sometimes we, you know, not sometimes, we do need editors to look at our stuff and, and make it better mm -hmm. and tell us when we're doing things. You know, we may love it, but we may be the only ones that love it. Well, artists and art, you know, and actors and things, they need that sometimes too. And Sigourney Weaver's whole thing, Make It Love the Alien, that's when she needed a producer or director to look at her and be like, we, we love you, Sigourney. We, we really do, but you need to make love to the alien on your own time. So, you know. <laughs> there, there was a viable movie here about uh, combining human and alien DNA to try to make mm -hmm. something new. Right. There's a viable movie there. That idea can fly. But right. bringing Ripley back, and like we've been saying, the way of it, yeah, no. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, everything about this doesn't make any sense. Um, and and it, the thing is, and I'm going to say the, the complaint on Varnish Truth, this character is not Ellen Ripley. You know, she is she is a, a clone or a construct or something, but she is not Ellen Ripley. She looks like Ellen Ripley. She's played by Sigourney Weaver, so they want us to think it's Ripley, but it's not Ripley. And and I'm, in, in addition to this, the, the, the thing that I just thought, like, no, this took me out of the movie. I don't buy this, is the reason they give for her having memories of having been Ripley. Uh, oh, yeah, it's some ancestral memory. Oh, <laughs> BS. No, I don't buy that. I absolutely do not buy that. No. If they had said something like, okay, we made a brain tape of her, uh, you know, when she was, you know, knocked out on, you know, the uh, Fiorina Fear, uh, or whatever it was called, um, you know, that place, I, I could have bought that if they had found an, a good reason for it. But that there's no way that she would have memories of being Ripley uh, of that. And especially not not in that kind of contrived way. You know, they're, they're trying to come up with an explanation for not only is Sigourney Ripley, but having remembered being Ripley. And it's just, no, this is a completely different character. In addition to that, she doesn't even act like Ripley. You know, she, she def I mean, she definitely has traits where she acts like the alien. Okay, you know, I can buy a little bit of that if what they're trying to do is create a hybrid. Uh, that would have actually have made sense. And that was what I was hoping that they were trying to say early on, was that they were trying to create this genetic construct, you know, where they were trying to create a super being, you know, who had alien powers. Okay, that's something that I could see Whale and Yutani trying to create. 
Okay, and I can see them using Ripley's DNA for that. I, I don't have a problem if they could get it. Um, that that's fine. But the problem is, is that that's not what they're doing. It was more like, okay, we cloned Ripley and we cloned the alien and she just happened to survive, you know, being <laughs> chest bursted for some reason, you know, and she has the memories of being Ripley for some reason that, you know, is plot contrived. No, that's nonsense. Absolutely stupid. And, and I will go also one step further on what uh, DT was saying about, you know, things not making sense as far as containing the outbreak. Mm -hmm. It is so un, un astronomically stupid that they create a threat to the planet Earth with this because not only did they fail to contain it, you know, thinking that, okay, we'll make uh, alien-proof glass, but we're not going to make alien-proof floors or decks. <laughs> no, that's stupid. And in addition to that, we find out later that, oh, the emergency protocols are to take the ship to the nearest base. Where is the nearest base? The planet Earth, which happens to conveniently be three hours away. So where were they? Near Mars? <laughs> what is this? Why, if you have the ability to, to, to take this alien and to study this thing, why not uh, put it somewhere where it can't get to Earth in case there's an outbreak? You know, what are you doing? Everything about this is like, it, it's just, it, it's, it's cartoonishly dumb for the sake of, we want the alien to get out and cause an outbreak and cause a threat to the earth, you know, because we want to ramp up tension. But none of the story logic acts up, adds up in any way whatsoever. So, yeah, it, it, it's completely nonsensical from the start. This okay. is weird. I didn't think I'd be the one defending this movie, but it, it seems to be what's happening here because I never took this Ripley as being Ripley. I, I, mm. I, I bought into her being a new thing. And, uh, if you accept the premise that her and the alien have become a mishmash creature, I even accepted the genetic memories because I figured that's just an attribute of the alien because like she can she can do things like she can tell a ship's moving through space even though you shouldn't be able to do that as a, as a human being on a spaceship. So okay, weirdly, right, right, I find right. In a weird position. <laughs> but I'm gonna let Nemesis jump in after that. But consider this: I said it on Twitter about Wandavision. You can't use Evan Peters and they get mad at your audience for making assumptions. True, true. Okay, you brought in the Fox X-Men universe when you use that actor, even if he's not actually Quicksilver. If you just wanted a fake Quicksilver, uh, a fake Pietro, Pietro, as Agnes said, you could have used anybody, but you brought him in. Mm -hmm. So people are going to react to that and you don't get to scream why are they reacting to that. You can't have Sigourney Weaver and then say, why are people thinking this should be Ripley or the Ripley said you can't have both of them. You can't use a quote from Newt and you can't use Sigourney and think you're not going to bring all the baggage that comes with that. See what I mean? So the movie Man. you're talking about works without Sigourney. If, if we're doing human alien hybrid experiments and it's somebody we're just meeting and we then we can invest in, in, in them in that that would make more sense than Ripley. See Which what I mean? Is what species ended up being. Yeah. You can't emotionally and mentally divorce yourself from everything that comes along with Ripley. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Nemesis. You have something to say? Yeah, as far as purpose goes, the only thing I, I wanted to add is that the other thing about this movie that really took me out, and, and this kind of ties into premise, and, and I'll say how in a minute, is that 
this is the second movie in a row where they had an arguably deeper and better cast with more, you know, kudos to, or not kudos, but, you know, more uh, acting chops to them than the first two movies, you know, at the time. And yet uh, they stunk it up. I mean, it was really bad, but some of the actors in here are incredible and went and did incredible things before and after. And I say that to say, that the other premise I had that I really have a problem with in this movie, and I forgot about until I watched it again, and I promise I'm not going to rant into the the the, the Tweety Bird and the uh, not summer soldier, but once again, the biggest doofus in this film, the one person that is miscast in this film because he is not a general officer or a military person is the general in charge of the ship. He's a doofus, <laughs> and I'm just. I, he was, I, I know him from Joe, from Joe versus the Volcano. Yeah. And I didn't see him as a general either. I saw him yeah. as Mr. Waturi. Or or the or the dad and knight in the rocks at the Roxbury, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so but yeah, so anyway, I say that because and these poor guys know it. I, I've been on a rant about the way military people are treated or, or represented a lot of times in films. And it's either Rambo or Dumbo. You know, it's one of the two. You know, there's never any middle ground. You're either a Rambo, super soldier, out of control killer, or you're a Dumbo. You know, so. But anyway, that that that's how it kind of ties in. So once again, this is another movie, another TV show with that premise, where because we want the military to be the antagonist this time, they got to come off as gung ho Dumbo, who can't do anything right. He's got his head so far up his rear end, but he's happy because his shoes are shined. You know, it's like, come on. Okay, that's a a perfect transition into where I'm going next. Um, so I'll throw this out and then we're going to go to the cast. <clears throat> the other thing I want to throw out to extend our analysis of the premise is this. It wasn't Wayland yutani uh, fake Ripley brought up the company and they said, oh, we're not them. You know, we're scientists, we're military, whatever we are. So once again, you have nerfed your best shadow villain. Waylon Yutani is the shadow villain of this franchise. And once again, you know, you had wide open opportunities to explore more, more Burke-like characters, explore more suits, give us, you know, some other stuff and you just threw all that away, number one. But number two, here's the thing. <clears throat> if you're keying in off of Waylon Yutani's work at all, they knew where these things were, remember? Mm -hmm. Remember that the first movie was them sending the crew of the Nostromo specifically to retrieve this life form. They knew where they were. They knew where LV-426 was. So everything that wasn't atomized in that explosion, if the derelict ship, we talked about that, was the derelict ship far enough away from, you know, Newt when they take off from orbit. So what I'm trying to say is there's not a need for Ripley. If you know where they are and you do, and you know how they produce, reproduce and you do, and you get your hands on some eggs, remember you got a ship full of eggs in the derelict. So I'm saying that even though it's 200 years later, all of this stuff would have happened way back in the day of aliens, just mm -hmm. uh, you know, based on the first premise from the first movie. So they tried to make it seem like we just came up with this idea and then I'm not even going to talk about how she had green and black fingernails. Do you really have nail polish in that thing? 
Or are you trying to say that your acid blood turned? Did, did cricks in your nails green? Like, really? I said, I said really? I said, oh, oh. <laughs> anyway, so where we're going to go next? And you can comment on that when I throw it back out. But, I, you know, it's just little things like that. I'm like, you haven't. Like, I'll give you another example. This is just a tangent. <laughs> when Moon Bloodgood, when she smiles, them teeth is too white and pretty for you to be from a, a dystopian future. Everybody yeah. from a dystopian future, them, them teeth is white and pretty and perfect. As soon as I saw that great big smile, it just knocked me out of it. I was like, okay, you're a Hollywood actress playing a role in a dystopian movie. You did not convince me. And so you can't have Ripley with nail polish. Oh, anyway, so... But here's where I'm going next. <laughs> but here's where I'm going next. The characters. I, I don't I don't I don't necessarily think I agree that the actors were better because the Alien 3 actors were phenomenal. I do agree that they were completely underused and completely just, you know, so much more we could have gotten out of them uh because of they had to fulfill the trope because the alien has to have red shirts to kill. Mm. And so Cameron still did it best. Just, there's no arguing that. Although the first movie is still good, the camera did it be best. But I want to talk about the characters in terms of, you know, Nemesis already talked about uh, the military thing. Which one was your favorite? Which one did you hate the most? Uh, you know, which one seems miscast? Because I, as I look at the cast, what I discovered is that the one I connected with most was called the Android, was Winona Ryder. And the reason that she was my favorite and I connected the most with her was because in the short amount of time, we heard about her evolution as a droid. And actually, I wanted to see that movie. Mm. We Because it was, you know, we become self-aware. We realize we're a race of beings created to serve. We don't like it. So we burn our modems and we go independent. That's fascinating. Now there's a million robot stories on that premise, but I just like the way Carl told it. I'm like, now nah, that would have been something to see. So I found myself empathizing most with her because she was mirror, uh, Ripley's mirror character. I'm half one thing, half another, and I'm trying to figure out what I am. It's just Winona did it better for my money. Um, in terms of the worst character, it was like all the rest of them. <laughs> I couldn't stand any of them. I couldn't stand any. I'm like, really? I'm like, y'all need to go ahead on and die. Just get face hug or something. Or one of them got dissected. I'm like, I don't like none of y'all. I didn't, didn't care. I was just counting the seconds until they died. Um, I, I don't know. They, they, them and the scientists were tropes. They were caricatures. They were broad strokes of a character without anything really filled in. And I'm like, I just can't care. But, you know, Carl, when I saw her tap into the motherboard, when I saw her interface with another computer, when I saw all the things that she could do, and she was disgusted with herself. See, now that's the opposite of Data. Data, we have the android that wants to be human, but here we have an android that hates what it is. I don't know what I am, but everything I know about me, I hate it. I hate the milk blood, I hate the modem, I hate I can pull my little USB port out of my forearm. Just, uh. See, I, I love that. I thought there was something there, but for the rest of them, I was like, yeah, whatever. And I love Ron Perlman, but I was like, it was a caricature for my money. 
So let me hear your thoughts about characters and you can talk about the other stuff I said too, but I want to hear like, who is your favorite? Who is your least favorite and all that. And by the way, Nemesis, my thing that correlates to what you said is musicians. Cause I can't stand it when I'm watching somebody play and I know they don't know how to play. Yeah. Like their hands are over here, but we're hearing bass notes on the piano. Piano floor <laughs> registers to your left. Piano's upper registers to your right. You don't even have to play the piano to know that. So they're doing this kind of thing and we hear this bass notes. I'm like, yeah. Anyway, so let me hear your thoughts about the characters. Start with Steve. All right. Uh, before I do that, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Wayland Utani thing because I think they dropped the ball here. Uh, they could have made something really good out of this, which is okay. We we start with the idea that oh yeah, Wayland Utani. Uh, yeah, we're nothing to do with them. You know, we're the military and all that. But they could have basically had it be that. Um, there were layers, you know, between them and Wayland Yutani, but it could still have been Wayland Yutani pulling mm -hmm. the strings because, you know, we've seen that there is definitely, um, even in the real world, a connection between mil the military and corporations, you know, and what is Wayland Yutani? I mean, they develop weapons, they develop starships, they, they, you know, they do terraforming, you know, they're involved in all this kind of stuff. So, you know, we know that they've been involved with the alien and, and, and all of that. So it could have been very, very easy for Wayland Yutani to be pulling the strings and hide it behind the fact that these guys are the military. You know, why didn't they do that? Uh, that could have been a reveal, you know, and we could have found out that that guy that um, turns traitor later was involved with them, and that explains his heel turn, which yeah. uh, was one of my biggest problems with this movie. Why is he turning heel, you know, at that point? Uh, what what is his agenda? So so that was so I hated him the most to answer the question about who I hated the worst. It's like, okay, why are you turning traitor with these people who are the only ones keeping you alive? And so what? What are you gaining from this? You know, what, what is your agenda? Why are you doing this? There, there's no reason for him to act the way he does whatsoever. So, yeah, um, that was the worst. Uh, for the best, um, I really did like Call uh, as well. Um, I do like Winona Ryder a lot, and I think that she really uh, was, and she was into this role. And if you listen to the interviews that she's done, you can definitely tell that she was excited to be in the movie and excited to play her character, and that came across. And I think that that helped. But, yeah, I think a lot of it was, um, you know, the, the idea of, of the robot being programmed for empathy. It's like, okay, that's interesting. You know, a robot that is sort of programmed uh, to relate to humans and, you know, to be more human, um, you know, by her, uh, her creators, which is, which is a really, really interesting thought. Uh, but, again, it's like we don't see, you know, the, the idea developed enough. But, it, you know, at least we have that and at least we have all that. To the remaining characters, um, I didn't hate them. My my problem was is I kept seeing like halfway in the movie, wow, this is Firefly. <laughs> All these characters are are for the most part, you know, based on the characters on Firefly, and some of them are very very obvious. Uh, Ron Perlman's character is obviously Jane, so I mean you could fit Jane uh, Adam Waldwin into the role, and it would be no different. So it's just like okay, well Ron Perlman's playing Jane, and I okay I have fun watching that. That's fine. Um, I thought that the uh, Michael Elgin. Uh, character, the captain that you're seeing on the screen now, uh, that guy was definitely, you know, playing Mal Reynolds. But the thing of it is, is that um, I, I kind of like this actor because he was the guy who was the warden of the Chateau Deep in uh, Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. God isn't even in France this time of year was like yeah. the, one of the best lines yeah. from that movie. Um, so, yeah, I really kind of appreciated that. Uh, 
but yeah, if you kind of look at it, I mean, some of the other ones are not like exactly one to one. You know, you, you, yeah, you could you could argue that that Wash was him or that he was the guy in the wheelchair, um, all of that. But yeah, you can see those two characters were exactly the same, absolutely exactly <laughs> the same. Um, but yeah, you know, and some of them were more interesting than others, but. Uh, for the most part, I would say they were better th than Alien 3, at least, at least in the sense that you know who they are and you remember who they are. <laughs> so at least there's that. Um, but uh, by and large, it's nowhere near as good as the cast of Alien 1 and 2, uh, for sure. Absolutely. Well, you also have to think about, we can buy a silicon-based beast having a circulatory system that can contain liquid that turns into acid upon contact with air. That's not mm -hmm. the same as the human circulatory system and what that would do to your heart or your skin if you've actually got corrosive acid. So does it turn into that on contact with the air? They didn't talk about that. I mean, little stuff. It's little stuff like that that was in my mind the whole time that I was like, we, we get no lines to explain the fusion of all that, but I'm gonna get there in a minute. Go ahead, Bracey, characters. Uh, characters. Uh... <laughs> this is going to be pretty funny. Uh, my least favorite character is uh, Dan Hedaya, who played the general. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a great comedic actor. He had mm -hmm. absolutely terribly miscast in this role. Like, yeah. why why would you put this guy in this role? It, it doesn't make any sense. You need uh, you need somebody like uh, the actor's name escapes me right now, but like the guy who played the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, the commanding officer in uh, Avatar. You know, like somebody's real hard ass, uh, real like I'm gonna go get the job done. You know, this is my command. I'm taking charge. That kind of character would have worked out really nice. Um, probably my favorite characters are uh, uh, one who was playing like a stereotype, but I just love this actor. And another one, uh, I liked him because I like this actor as well. And and he dies right away. And that's Michael Wincott who plays the captain. Yeah. Uh, you guys mentioned Count of Monte Cristo, but for me, he will always be uh, top dollar from the Crow. Uh, yeah. you know, the guy just has that just amazing gravelly voice and you just want to hear him speak all the time and then they kill him it's like no man this guy had the best voice in the film you know and you know after after recently playing in the crow i wanted to see him do a little bit more in the movie you know have some some badass moments instead of just being cannon fodder that was pretty uh, pretty shameful as far as i was concerned so I go back to another one of my genre favorites, and that's Brad Dorif, uh, as the world knows him as the voice of Chucky, uh, playing the mad scientist. And you know, Dorif does what Dorif does, and nobody does it like Dorif does. And it doesn't matter what movie he's playing, what the budget is, what the role. And I'll say this about Ron Perlman as well: uh, there are there are some guys who know they're doing like kind of crappy movies but they still just give it their all like total professionals. They totally invest in it. They just totally go for it. And that's one thing I like about, uh, Brad Dorf and, uh, and Ron Perlman. Uh, even though like Ron's like, you know, this isn't the deepest character, but I'm going to make him as fun of a jerk character as I can. And, uh, and, and Brad Dorf's particular way of, uh, of being over the top, uh, as a, as a character actor sort of character, is always enjoyable, but if you want to see him in a real world, uh, watch him in Lord of the Rings, where he actually really gets to do some serious acting. 
Worm tongue, yeah. Uh, I will add one little thing, and that is uh, Joss Whedon had a problem with Brad Dourif because he was too obviously that character, and he wanted to foreshadow, or at least he wanted to obfuscate from that. <laughs> and yeah, and it's just, and everybody, and his problem was it's like yeah, everybody's going to know that this is a creepy guy because he's being played by Brad Dourif. Yeah, he right. was right on that point. Right, he was right. right because because if Chucky was real, he'd look like Brad. Seriously. Yeah. But also, <laughs> I want to throw out. Uh, before I turn it over to Nemesis, once again, talking about level of detail, because I pay attention to stuff like that because I'm a writer. It jumps out at me. So the nail polish thing jumped out at me, but also they gave details to characters that didn't go anywhere. So when you yeah. see the general taking a shoe polish and it's a block and he melts it, polishes his shoes, that was very graphic. And then he's eating raw lemons. But if you notice that none of the interpersonal interactions between the characters ever goes anywhere, the only yeah. relationship that has any type of payoff is Ripley and Carl. Yeah. All that other stuff, we see the details about who they might be in a better movie, and then they're just dead. See what I mean? And I was like, why would you go, you know, to to those extremes in terms of details and giving us an idea of how anal this guy is and this different kind of stuff? Okay, that's cool. And then he just gets a big old chunk taken out of his neck that he then looks at before he dies. Really? So he's going to get the, the wily coyote death where you're dead, but you stand there for a few minutes before you die. Really? Oh, uh, go ahead, Nemesis. <laughs> well, the other thing I'll say about that whole shoe shiny thing is uh, you show me a general who shine your shoes and I'll show you fantasy land. So I'm just going to say <laughs> that right there. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I had two least favorite characters. Um, I'll start off with the easiest one, which was, I, I, I even though I, I like the characters to a certain extent in the movie, it really disappointed me seeing this again, uh, Gary Dorden's character. And the reason I say that is because after watching this in CSI, now I gotta watch something else he's in because I'm really worried that's the only character he plays because they're yeah. the same character, really. You know, so I'm like, I'm hoping he's not always that same person. I hope he's not that actor because I really like what he's been in. So um, from an in-story point of view though, man, I'm gonna be a pod person again. I didn't like the character of Cal, the the android. I, she annoyed me. So, and I felt that way the first time and I felt that way the second time. For whatever reason, she came off as annoying and whiny to me. Mm -hmm. And all of the stuff, I agree with you. If it had been a movie just about her, she was the most interesting part. But I knew that the movie wasn't about her. I knew that I would never hear any more about the revolution and her, you know, what her character is going through. I knew all of that. And so to me, all I'm hearing is whining for whining's sake in order to whine us through the plot because you never really mean to take these ideas and run with them and do something else. So that's why to her, for me, you know, that's why I didn't like her character because I do agree that her arc and everything about her was the most interesting, but you already knew that it was going nowhere, just like some of the other stuff you were talking about. Yeah, now, uh, interesting anecdote, Winona Ryder almost drowned in the tank scenes. Oh, wow. More than once, and she said she developed, if she didn't have a fear of water before then, she developed one after that. And that's why I'm glad I didn't get the acting bug because I'm not getting in the water tank. 
like, bring in the stunt double. I'm like, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that. Well, this we is, divers ready with the oxygen. I don't care. I ain't. I ain't doing that. This right here is why I never got into acting. This. this right <laughs> so, based for, uh, for made for podcasting. There's, yeah, there's pretty unattractive guys who are doing well in, uh, in yeah. Hollywood. <laughs> so, uh, so now we're going to talk about uh, because this movie is again, it's another chase movie. Once the aliens show up, it's just a chase movie until we get to the end, which is not bad if you do it right because that's what Terminator 2 is. It's just 10 times better. Um, you know, so we're going to talk about moments, very specific moments, because they definitely tried to give us shocks and reveals along the level of the first movie. Our first shock was actually seeing the chest burster, and our second shock was that Ash was an android, both done extremely well. And when you saw the movie for the first time, they had you just holding your breath. They were done so well. Uh, and this one, they tried to do that, but we'll talk about it. We'll talk about those individual moments. Uh, the first thing I do want to mention, however, and you guys can chime in, um, they once again broke the rules of the story world for a moment. And whenever you do stuff like that, we've talked about it you know, over and over and over again. If you're going to do that, you have to earn it. You can't just do it to do it. And what they did was, first of all, they uh, took all the colonists whose tubes they stole, put alien eggs in front of them and let the alien eggs hatch in front of them. But we didn't actually see any of that. Mm -hmm. We saw the beginning of that, but we didn't actually see that play out. The one guy that we do see later, we've got the alien coming out of him. I want you to notice what he did. When he feels the alien coming out, he kind of starts Frankenstein jerking, stomping around, which is not what Kane did, which is not what the woman that was webbed up in LV-426 did, is not what the dog did, but he's got enough presence of mind and enough control, motor control, to go grab the dude and hold him in front of him and let him chest burst so he can chest burst through his head and also that baby alien was like four feet long. <laughs> and the first one was about big as a hot dog with teeth. But so, so, you know, when you do stuff like that, it just it just takes me out of it. Because, you know, he's stomping and doing his thing. And I'm like, that's not how aliens come out. You are incapacitated. You're in convulsions. You're whatever is not. You're, you know, that kind of thing. And then you've got strength and presence enough in mind to hold someone in front of you so you can, you know, chest burst through their forehead or whatever. And and it, it looked like a gag. It looked like a broomstick that they put like plastic wrap around. I was like, really? <laughs> you know what just occurred to me when you're saying that? Uh-huh. Is that this ties right into what we were talking about before we got into the podcast that started this? That whole scene could have been fatality. You know? <laughs> <laughs> What it looks like. Yeah. World combat. It shouldn't even have happened because uh, they should have shot the guy when they minute them find out he had an alien. Why didn't you shoot him? Oh man! Thank you, Steve. Steve once again comes with the truth because because no one lets him live. If we can't freeze him, if there's no chance of him, because Ripley kept saying you're not going to survive it. Remember, she survived it. That's the last shot of her in Alien 3 holding the Queen Alien, but okay. 
Ripley says, you're not going to survive it. You're not going to survive it. You're not going to survive it. How do you know all this? I'm the monster's mommy. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes, he would have been shot. He would have got two to the head and then two more to the chest. Yeah, it's like getting bit by a zombie. Sorry, you're done. Yeah. That's what I liked about The Walking Dead in the first season or two because they, they reacted like real people would react because that's exactly what people would do. But, you know, if if there's no no hope of extracting it out of you. So there's that whole moment, you know, from the time we see the eggs, which if you notice were noticeably bigger and more mobile until the time we see the one chest burster in the movie and it's kind of a gag, like a Saturday Night Live gag is what it felt like to me. So there's that moment. Uh, the uh, next moment I want to talk about is the uh, Ripley basketball scene. Uh, they did anywhere from 100 to 150 takes because Sikerny said, I want to do it for real because she said nobody will believe that you didn't just, you know, CGI in a ball or somebody dropped a ball that wasn't real. So you got to pull the camera back far enough for them to see is one thing. And that was literally the last shot because the director yeah. was like, if you don't get it this time, we got to move on because time is money on a studio set. She only got to do all that because she was the lead. So they shot that scene anywhere from 100 to 150 times. I don't remember the exact number. She finally got it on the last one. And it was cool and all, but I was trying to understand what are you trying to establish about the character? Was it something as simple as extraordinary dexterity or, you know, or that she's not afraid or, you know, I got it in the basketball scene where she's knocking people out with the basketball and she's fighting it. And we get that this is not ripping all that, but I didn't understand like what, what the point of that was, like what's the payoff of knowing she could do that? So she did this uh, really good and then so what? At some point, because when we get to the newborn, Lord have mercy, she didn't use any of her powers to defeat that thing except for the acid blood. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really interesting that that, that, acid, that human alien acid blood is weaponized whenever she wants it to be, I, you know, once again. But but anyway, so I, I just didn't get that moment. Was that just supposed to be a cool moment or whatever? So anyway, so if you got thoughts on that, uh, I'll move on to the next one, but you can talk about that when I throw it back out. Next moment I want to talk about is probably the biggest moment before we get to the newborn. The biggest moment is when we find the previously cloned Ripley alien queen hybrids. That's probably the biggest moment in this film. Now, depending on your take on the film, that's what roots it in horror because those images were horrific and it was science gone bad or it was letting you see all the steps until we get it right. And even number seven was Sigourney underneath the table and then they created a plastic uh, morph body, which is a, a grotesque uh, abomination combination of a little bit of the queen and a, a human body distorted, that kind of thing. So Ripley number eight, which was tattooed on her arm, could see what it took to get to number eight. And then she ends that scene by flamethrowing all the clones. And they were horrific too. You know, one was little with an extended head. One had an alien a teeth coming out of his jaws. Most of them were all the worst parts. And when I watched it, I was like, it took me back to my first point, like, 
she wouldn't be cloned with the queen coming out of her in any kind of way. Okay, and so when I saw that, I was like, so so again, what was the point of that? And I do definitely want to hear your thoughts on that. I'm trying to understand the point of that scene. Were we supposed to feel bad because of what it cost to make a Ripley 8? Or were we just supposed to be grossed out? Or were we supposed to be angry at the scientists? I did not understand the emotional goal of that scene because it was grotesque and it was horrific. And so what? So let me hear your thoughts about that. Start with Nemesis. Um, well, let me start with that first one first. My real problem with that that whole scene with the uh, where they find the clones, the different clones they've been growing at Ripley, uh-huh. is that yeah, it did make a lot of sense to me. The whole premise. I've always had a problem with that. But the other problem I had was up until a couple of days ago, the first time I saw this movie is when it came out, or no. Check that. I saw it when it came out at the Blockbuster. I didn't go see either of those two movies in the theater. But the problem I had was that I had already seen this done and done better in the X-Files. So when I was watching that whole thing, I was thinking of the plot that had happened in the X-Files only a couple of years before, where they had the alien-human hybrids, and they were growing them in the tanks and they were finding them and everything. So I'm just sitting there looking at this movie, which I already don't buy as now having things that were ripped off from other stuff. So um, the other scene uh, that I really wanted to talk about was the basketball scene. Now that one made some sense to me because I thought what they were trying to show there is that this Ripley has super, uh, you know, super abilities. She's got supernatural abilities, but she's also hyper aggressive. So to have this sense of dominance, like she's got, you know, like suddenly the alien queen has made her into an alpha, which I guess she technically would be. So that she is constantly confrontational and and trying to dominate situations and things like that. Plus she has the superhuman abilities. So that made some sense to me. The problem is just like you said, she didn't use any of those superhuman abilities when push came to shove and her dominance and all of that, I mean, it's a really crude, ham-handed attempt to try and establish that um, trait in Ripley 8. So those are the two things that I really want to talk about out of uh, everything you're saying there. I agree with your points on on most everything else. Um, so, yeah, I think that's where I'll go. Okay, Bracey, thoughts on basketball scene and thoughts on Ripley 8 discovering her clone predecessors? Yeah, just going ahead and jumping back to the uh, the chess person thing as well. Like you know, Al Ray said, like it, you shoot him, you shoot that guy, and we all agree that he he wouldn't have had the presence of mind or ability. Uh, you know, if you look at the first two films, no amount of adrenaline allowed those people to do anything remotely coherent as their sternum is getting ripped apart. So, <laughs> right. Uh, moving on to the basketball scene, the basketball scene was clearly there to establish that again this wasn't Ripley. It's, it's a little bit of bait and switch, uh, as we've discussed, you know, like, even though I understand it's not Ripley, I can see like, especially since you brought the Evan Pierce things out, people have expectations and you shouldn't screw with their expectations like that. So I totally get that. But this is asserting how different she is than Ripley. Uh, she's not the same sort of Ripley at all. Uh, she has all these cool abilities, but that's the problem. As you've mentioned, you can't give us a scene like that 
and not taken anywhere. Uh, I mean, she does little things with her blood you know, here and there, but if she's got the super strength and the super coordination, if she doesn't need to use her eyes like an alien to make a shot, why don't we see something like that? Why don't we see like something attacking her and she snatches it from behind with a no look? Why don't we see her using her uh, super strength more prevalently? Uh, there's no reason for the aliens uh, to really accept her. So, like, she should have really been, she should have been their secret weapon. You know, she should have been the thing that was moving them through. Yeah, like, oh, we're all a bunch of badasses, but you're the only one who is uh, physically capable of dealing with these things. It's, uh, once again, let's go back to Cameron because he always does it better. It's taking the Terminator and fighting the T-1000. It's the only thing that's going to have a shot at it. That's what Ripley should have been. You know, and, and we even get moments where, like, you get these hints that maybe she's going to do something cool, like when she pulls the inner jaw out of an alien. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, man, she is really strong. She can do all kinds of cool stuff and never does any of it. We get all this little peripheral stuff she can do, like she can tell the ship is moving through space. Okay, that's cool. That's that's nice. But, like, what are you doing with it? Nothing just telling us we're going to crash on her. Like, oh, Okay. Yeah, that that didn't make sense at all to me. And to have such a big setup with no payoff, and that is a movie sin. You cannot establish something like that and not have a payoff to it. Uh, so that was just bogus. Now, the uh, the laboratory scene was probably my favorite part of the movie because that gets back to the original concept of the alien right there. And that's, that's the only horror element we get. The rest of this, like I said, I feel like I'm watching... Uh, a kind of a comic book, you know, movie from the seventies or eighties, because you know there were some, there were some magazine comics out there that got pretty gratuitous with the violence and the sex and things like that uh, in that period. But uh, uh, you know, this should have been the movie. This should have been the movie, just like your idea about like the uh, the android should have been the movie. Although we have had that movie, we call it Blade Runner. We can still yeah. do it. In uh, but for me, this should have been the movie. I was just thinking about this as we were discussing it. The alien, we understand, encapsulates some of the DNA of the host into itself. So maybe you can get this weird hybrid of human and alien as you're trying to, you know, reestablish the DNA. But you're working with, you know, silicone-based DNA, something you never had before, and it takes hundreds of years to kind of figure it out. So you've got all these mutations. Let's not have an actual alien in the film. Let's in the process, like this this Ripley or something like it is the closest we got, or like let's remove her entirely. And uh, I like the moment because the way Sigourney Weaver played it as Alien Ripley, as Ripley 8 and the, uh, the, the one cognizant Alien Ripley on the table. That was a nice moment. And I, I like the catharsis of like burning up the stuff, uh, seeing how she has been violated in ways that original Ellen Ripley was always afraid of. And it's it, it speaks to that, but this is the movie you had. It it kind of becomes dead space uh, for me, where you have these these hybrid creatures, and they're continuing to mutate and evolve as their as their DNA is trying to find some sort of weird balance. So you have these these half naked woman uh, alien weird creatures uh, running around, and that becomes the new threat of this film. Now maybe it would have gotten the Halloween season of uh, Halloween three season of the witch treatments. Like where's Michael Myers? Uh, but I think if you'd been bold enough to go in that direction, you would have had a much cooler movie. I don't know. I really like that as I'm listening to you talk about it. I don't know if I 
would have accepted an alien movie without an alien. But mm -hmm. the idea of that journey being more of the story. Maybe we just finally got like one Ripley and one actual alien, and then there's the rest of them. And then maybe these two have to somehow work together because now they've got this weird familial connection to defeat this abomination of a threat. There's well, lots of ways you can play. What if they can do stuff that Ripley 8 can't do? What yeah. if they all have different kinds of powers or they have a different focus? Or um, we introduce something into the mythos that allows yeah, the aliens to... Yeah, all kinds of different attributes of the alien. Uh, right. Like, you know, that was handled in the expanded material. Like, what if one was, like, really severely telepathic and the other one's super acidic and the other one's just a savage beast? And, you know, just so many ways you could do it. Like, uh, we're, we're never given a precise way of how the aliens see. Uh, in the video games, they give them, like, pheromone vision mm -hmm. is one way they deal with it. But, like, so, you know, what if uh, just this weird kind of understanding they have of their environment, there's so much you could have done with that. And see, if we're going to have a Shepard book character, mm -hmm. that character would be talking about the abomination that all of this is. Now, yes. Call is the one that did that, but we needed a full human that had some type of religious affiliation, kind of just, you know, crying out against these kinds of things all moving along. And that would have even been a bit of a throwback to the multi-prisons we met last movie, but I'm saying there's moral implications and moral and ethical ramifications to creating grotesque hybrid life forms. And then what do you do with it? What if they survive? So yeah. as I listen to you talk, there, there's a great movie there. Because this, this great idea horror, there. You know, this, this body horror concept almost speaks to like what Carpenter did with the thing. You know, like you could really get extreme with it and really have a lot of fun and make a very memorable movie instead of a very bad one. See, now that made me think about what if there was a human that was an alien in disguise? Oh, there you go. What if those things could morph like a T-1000? Remember, the original idea for the first alien movie was to have it imitate Ripley's voice like a Terminator. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that line of this is Ellen Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo, the alien was going to be saying that. That was, so, a, that was a really huh? Scott invention because that wasn't in the original script that I read. So what if they took an idea similar to that and all of a sudden these things can hide in plain sight like the Cylons in the Battlestar Galactica remake? Yeah. That kind of thing. There's all different kind of places that can go if the hi human hybrid idea is the premise of all the action instead of just, that's really good. I like that. My mind's churning now. Imagine if everything Ripley 8 did was ultimately to get to Earth so she could start infecting. Like this this idea of her being the heroine just like uh, M. Night Shyamalan twists on you at the end. <laughs> that would have been a better last scene. Mm -hmm. That we discovered that something that's alive that we thought was human is part alien and its goal was to start an Earth hive. Yeah. That would have been a better last shot. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I, I, that 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 would have been interesting, and I think that uh, that's the kind of thing that you would see, like in John Carpenter's *The Thing*. Um, you know, you you, you kind of wonder, can you trust anybody? Because any of them could be the alien. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. Um, I, going back to the guy that should have been shot, I, 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 I have to say that whole thing, I, I found it unintentionally funny. 
uh, just the whole thing. I just couldn't take it seriously. The the way that he was just vaulting forward, you know, Frankenstein style. It's like they were trying for creepy. I was just laughing at it. I couldn't take it seriously at all. So a lot of this movie is unintentionally funny. And then sometimes it tries to be intentionally funny and it fails, uh, which I'll get into a little bit later. Uh, the basketball scene, yeah, I, I'm not sure quite what they were doing with that. It just seemed to me like, you know, they're doing what Joss Whedon likes to do with his female characters, which is, you know, have that moment where they're superwoman. And, you know, and it, and it just seems like, you know, very much that kind of scene. But it doesn't add up anywhere. And I have to agree, you know, you don't you don't violate the principles of Chekhov's gun like this. So, yes. you know, when you try to show that that she has these abilities, it has to have some kind of payoff later. And there's one scene where she should have been useful with her super strength, and she never does, which is uh, that whole point where the um, the the ship had that that lat that hatch that wasn't closing. Gee, maybe the person with super strength should go over and close it. You know, that would have been a perfect point to use that. And they don't use it. So that, yeah, so that 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 was just ridiculous. So it's like, okay, they're trying to show her, you just to show off, you know, maybe she was trying to earn the respect of the crew or something. Okay, I guess. But, you know, it, it's just one of those points where Joss Whedon likes to show off, you know, how tough his women are. And this is just another one of those. Um, so, okay, fine. Um, the body horror scene was a missed opportunity, but there were great things in it. Um, because what really it should have been was a situation where we find out what Wayland Utani really was doing. Okay, because we would have seen in this lab the kind of stuff that they were doing. So if it had turned out, okay, we find out that everything that Ripley was told was a lie. And no, it really wasn't that, you know, they they were cloning Ripley and this is what came out of it. We find out that, OK, they were really doing, you know, secret experiments trying to breed the perfect alien hybrid, human mm. hybrid. And this is the results that it got. I could have bought that. That would have been really, really great. And it would have at that point shown, you know, what you were trying to say, that the scientists were really unethical and that all the things that they were doing really were sinister and they had to be stopped. And that's why all of these things had to be destroyed, uh, because, you know, you can't have these things, you know, uh, being continued. You can't have this kind of work being continued. Uh, it's inhumane. Um, I will say that I did like uh, the two Ripley's, you know, meeting with the uh, the horrific one, um, you know, asking, please, please kill me. And Ripley seeing herself in her clone or her previous you know, version or whatever. Uh, it was that, that, that she was, um, you know, and then her deciding to burn it and all of that could have been perfectly dramatic. And then they have this stupid line from not Jane uh, at the end, which is like, oh, it must be a chick thing. It took all the tension out of the scene. You don't do that. You know, you, you have all this tension from this whole dramatic thing. And then you have this stupid joke, which doesn't even make any sense. Like, it's perfectly obvious why she destroyed that thing. I mean, it, there's no no question. No, she wasn't wasting ammo. Don't give me that. So, yeah, that, that was really stupid. 
But um, I will say uh, beyond that, I, I kind of help wonder whether they were taking cues from Final Fantasy VII, which I think probably was like <laughs> earlier that decade. Because you have yeah. the same thing with the with the clones being numbered, uh, with the same kind of experiments going on uh, between you know humans and this thing that was you know an alien thing, um, and and you know all these flawed clones being made and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I kind of wonder whether there were cues going from that, but. Um, and, it, and and but all in all, I have to say it was probably handled better in Final Fantasy VII than there was in this movie. But I mean, all in all, there were things that I liked in it. I liked some things that it tried to do, but then they just completely killed it with the tension being destroyed, and then with the not using it to its fullest potential and really showing you know the extent of what Whalen Yutani really was doing in the background or should have been doing in the background. Um, and then just having it just be, okay, yeah, this guy, Brad Dourif, is just, you know, a really weird creep. Okay, that's nice, but you could have had a lot more to it, and it just wasn't there. And it's just a waste of potential. The whole movie is. Steve, mind if I add something real quick? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. You know, uh, and it strikes me because uh, Joss Whedon got involved with uh, the MCU, and that's mm -hmm. become kind of a trait of the MCU is you'll have these scenes where you have these big dramatic moments and then they get ruined by a joke. You know, yep. Dr. Strange puts on his cloak, this big moment. He is fully Dr. Strange. And then the cloak starts touching his face. Thor watches Asgard come apart as Surtur burns it. And then we got to have a joke about Meek over here in Korg. And like, mm -hmm. I hate those moments. And, you just remind me how much I hated that moment again as well. Yeah. For the exact yeah. same reason. And I, I don't know if this it, is it's just... A, it's, a, a, it's a Whedon a, problem. Very much so. A Whedonism that just keeps perpetuating itself. Yeah. Well, and he just doesn't know when to stop. If you... Because we were talking about Mortal Kombat before we came on. If you notice in that movie, Kano is snarky. In a Whedon yeah. movie, everybody is snarky. And uh, uh, if there's... Anything that Ripley 8 shouldn't have been, she should have been snarky. What coming out of that lab, she should have been so psychologically messed up because I want you to think about how do you respond if you saw all the steps leading up to you being you and then you had to torture them all. What, what would that do to you? If you're looking at yourself distorted and distended because the body didn't form right until they got to you and then you burned all that, that would mess you up in the head. You see, yeah, the only plausible way I could see that working is if it was a defense mechanism, you know, to try to cover from the obvious pain that she's dealing with. And she's just trying to snark to get this, you know, the attention off of it. But I don't think that that's a Ripley thing to do. That's something that, uh, you know, a character like Spider-Man would do. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, really. Now, you see, in, in my movie that we just ended up discussing a little bit earlier, that's the moment where Ripley 8 decides humanity's not worth it. Yeah, that's okay, the moment. Now, her switch is flipped. I want a combination movie between what Bracey said and what Steve said, uh, because that movie would have been better. But I'm going to add a layer, and here's my layer. I would have made it a Section 31 thing. Mm. So what I would have done is there would have been a hidden cabal inside of Wayland Utani. So the overall company still wanted the alien and the alien eggs. So we keep that going. But there's a hidden cabal inside of maybe something that Burke set up that they didn't know about hmm. that does the yeah, human alien hybrid experiment. So we can kind of keep both. So Wayland Yutani is still the bad guys. And 
but there were people inside the shadow villain that were even more sinister and more, you know, perverted. So they were trying to make the Ripley clones and trying to make super soldiers that way. And the, the, maybe the all the suits and whether you kind of have no idea, but that was hidden from them as well. So we get kind of like a double reveal. So I want to see that movie now. But uh, anyway, so we're going to move on to some more uh, moments. Now, I'm very interested to hear what you say about have to say about this next moment before we get to the next big two. But there was one there on the way to the next big two that if I wasn't already thrown out of the movie, it would have drop kicked me like an extra point because I just couldn't believe what am I looking at? And it's this. You can't have Ripley be an enemy of the aliens and a friend to the aliens. If you're yeah. going to try to pull that off, you have to explain it. So everything that we saw up to that point was she reacted more like a human when the aliens were coming. And she tore the tongue out of the alien corpse that killed the captain and blah, 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 blah. And then we get to this scene where the, the grill is melted and she falls down into a moving nest of alien like they were aliens, like they were uh, hybrid cockroaches. Mm. Like they're mutated co nine foot cockroaches and they're, so they're sliming and they're swirling and they're swarming. And she kind of lays back in it like, like, you know, I'm home or like, this is my natural environment or like, this is what I've been waiting to get to. And then when one of the, uh, one of the, the uh, not drones, when one of the drones is transporting her to the queen chamber, it looks like, and this was Sigourney's idea, it looks like they're actually hooking up because the camera's spinning and the, the light's different and it's got the sexy music and you know, and it looked like they're doing the hunk of chunker. Oh, I'm like, no. wait. wait. So, so I get that you're trying to say, is she human, is she alien, is she both? But all the, up to this point, she's pretty much been siding with the humans, even though she's got that alien DNA. But then this happens, and not only do they not destroy her, but it looks like they were having a thing on the way to the chamber. I'm like, wait. I just, that whole thing, just, I, oh, just every level, as a fan, as a writer, as a person, I was like, really? I just, I couldn't get with it. I don't, I don't understand, what are you trying to imply? Are you trying to imply there's some type of sexual tension between her and Alien, and is that just her? Or, you know, or just, oh my goodness. I just, I just couldn't with that whole thing. I'm like, no. No, sexually Ripley A writhing around on electric cockroaches that don't belong in this movie. Oh, so let me hear your thoughts about that. Star Wars Brazen. Yeah, it's so funny you said they uh, they reminded you of cockroaches because that's the way I felt uh, for the majority of this film. Uh, I don't know whose idea it was. The uh, uh, I, I don't know who was like uh, producing it or is like uh, designing the sets and things. I, I know the director was. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Genet. Yeah. Genet, whose work I like, uh, he does rather whimsical, fantasy-esque, dreamy sort of movies. Uh, a particular favorite of mine is uh, the, the Island of Lost Children. Um, 
which, like this film, seems to have an overabundance of brown to it. And that's one of the key things that made me think about the aliens as cockroaches. They're, they're very brown. They're very organic, as I told you guys last time. Uh, I didn't like the design of uh, the Alien 3, what they did with it, because they, they got away from the biomechanical and started going very organic, uh, mm-hmm. which is not the aesthetic of Giger at all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it just continues down this path more and more. And I, I tried to rationalize it that, well, these are alien-human hybrids, so they're a little bit different. You know, maybe it's maybe because they're, they're coming from a source of human DNA as well as alien DNA. They're not as biomechanical. I mean, they, they do things other aliens don't do. Like, they, they growl and they have breath. Uh, and there's just all kinds of things. But, yeah, that scene, uh, the way they moved, and then, like you said, the big nesting moment, it just made me think of nothing but a huge swarm of cockroaches, which, on top of everything else you said, which feels very correct, unless Ripley is easily swayed depending on whose company she keeps at the time. <laughs> That's the only rationalization I can make. Uh, that scene did not play out the way they wanted it to because for me, now these things are among the most revolting creatures possible because I loathe our palmetto bugs here, the two-inch-long brown American cockroaches that we get, and that's all I could see was giant freaking cockroaches covered in slime, and she's laying in there like she's having a spa day, and I'm not down with that at all. Uh, it, It didn't make any sense to me. She's clearly more human than alien. They're clearly more alien than human. They should be naturally opposed. They should be tearing her apart, or she should be trying to kill them. Uh, it didn't make sense at all, scenically. I'm yeah, taking on your cat. Your cat, yeah, your cat <laughs> didn't like that scene either, so he just told us what he thought. Yeah. the butt. Well, the cat's and, doing. Right, right. That was just bubble of disapproval. Right, that was all, <laughs> all cat posterior. Like, I don't like this either. Yeah. Before I throw it to Steve, I want to also remind you, correct me if I'm wrong, the scientist said there were 12. Yep. That was more than 12. It was a lot more than 12. So Maybe they made more, through. I don't know. So was it the people you captured from the Betty? Because that was about a dozen people. That was, it was more aliens than a dozen. I guess yeah. crew station? I, oh, go ahead, Steve. Thoughts on 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 sexy Ripley eight and the electric cockroaches? <laughs> it's, it's it's really worse than than even we've been talking about so far. But I'll get into that. Um, I'll start with the the point that uh, Joss Whedon um, said that he never wrote this in the script. Okay, um, he 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 wasn't sure exactly what happened, but he thought it was the director um, that had that put it in. And um, not wanting to stereotype the French too much, but that sounds like what a French director would do. Um, it, it's that kind of weird stuff. Um, that, but it could also have been that Segrini wanted to do it. That, that definitely fit in with his surreal aesthetic. Yeah, yeah it, it seems like film. something that Junet would have done. I, I, that, that's the thing. But, you know, here's the problem, is that they later establish um, that, you know, they, these aliens are her children. I'm the, I'm the mommy of the, uh, of the monster. Then, okay, then you get this weird incest vibe with her alien baby. What the hell oh, is no. this? Okay, we're, we're going to get that in a Incest, let's put a pin on This is creepy. Incest. It's alien incest. Oh, what I had the no. hell is this? 
<laughs> I, and, and so, yeah, I mean, so rather than it looking, you know, all artistic and sensual and all of that, I'm just creeped out and, and grossed out <laughs> because, I mean, it, there's a cognitive dissonance that I have between what's on the screen and what is going on in my head making connections with this film. It's it's absolutely disgusting when you think about oh, that. Adding boy. to the disgust of the whole cockroach connection. I mean, cockroaches are pretty disgusting anyway. I don't need any cockroach incest in my movies. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's clearly like it, they, they were trying to be clever. They were trying to be artistic. And it's just terrible. On, on any conceivable level, it's terrible. And it took me out of the movie. And why, 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 why did you do this? Well, nothing we've seen of the creatures, especially what we saw in Alien 3, we cut that some slack because it was a dog, because that's the first time we saw them actually eat humans. Mm -hmm. But nothing we've seen from the creatures shows anything less than total aggression at all times, yeah. unless, like Newt, they're taking you to the egg chamber to be a host, or let's like the dog alien, they smell an yeah. alien on the inside of you and won't kill you because you're going to burst something. But other than that, they come straight at you. And so yeah. this was, I was like, uh, go ahead, Nemesis, thoughts about the electric Ripley doing electric <laughs> nasty <Yeah>. cockroaches. <laughs> I have to say that just reliving these moments, listening to you guys describe them is, is more <laughs> horrific than this movie was. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's like, oh man, it just gets worse. And there's another layer, you know, it just gets worse and worse. Um, yeah, this, this is just, it's just weirdness. And to be honest with you, I, I hate to keep coming back to this, but every time I think about, you know, it just keeps clicking in my head. This movie just reminds me of like a Frankenstein's monster of all kinds of different ideas from other properties that were around the same time. You know, it, it just seems unoriginal in that way. And, and I don't know, maybe it's being really unfair to Joss Whedon who wrote the movie, but that's what it feels like to me. It feels like he had this idea for Firefly in his head and then he needed to, you know, all this subplot to go with it. So he just started stealing stuff from everything else and just threw it into a screenplay, probably got a paycheck and went off and started getting ready to do Buffy and Firefly or something. So, um, or I guess he was already had already done Buffy at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, so this scene is just really strange. I think you guys hit on, you know, the really incredibly disturbing thing. Now that Steve pointed out the incest part and everything of the, you know, the sex with the cockroaches. That was really weird. Um, but the biggest thing that disturbed me was the fact that somehow the queen had been mutated, you know? Well, we're going to get there in a minute. We're going to get there. Okay. Okay. So that's a, we're going to talk about a separate moment. But yes. yeah, I mean, so the, that, that whole concept of bringing her in there and then the reveals are going to come later. And once again, we're changing a number of things. And I feel, even felt that way to a certain extent when the aliens attacked the third alien to burn through the, you know, the aliens are hyper aggressive, but we never see them like plan and come up with this treachery amongst themselves and this, you know, and this whole Shakespearean thing. And they turn on the third one and it's screaming and everything. It's like, what are we supposed to get out of all that? And they're just throwing stuff at us like that. And they did that here, too, is where also we've got all this new information, which really doesn't jive. And we're supposed to just accept it and move on. And it's just a real problem on top of all of the kinky stuff with the porno music playing and everything else. So. And <laughs> they would even know 
by destroying a brother that his acid would melt through that floor. Now, so this is this is the smart shark moment. The whole premise of Deep Blue Sea is that the sharks were smarter. Okay, being smarter does not give you more information. Mm -hmm. You would not know what humans know just because you're smarter. But the sharks did, and the aliens did. And I'm like, no, you have to explain that if you're going to make us buy that, which leads me into what you just talked about, which was uh, one of the big two moments because we're still not at the newborn yet, but we're at this moment, which once again, I was like, ah, oh, this is another one. And, you know, we're definitely very repetitive sometimes. This is another one where it would have been a better video game. Mm. If you can get a video game where some options were to play as just humans, colonial marines, just human civilians, human alien hybrids. If you had, if you took all the characters in this movie and put them in a video game and they're playable characters, that's already better than the film. But what happens here that just made me say, this was worse than Spider-Man. Now, y'all know one of my issues with Spider-Man has always been that he got everything but spinning his own webs. I can't stand it. I know people have defended it to the death about it's Peter's genius and he needs to make the web shooters. I came up with a way he can still do that, but you can't sell me on him getting everything but spinning webs because that's what spiders do. Especially super spiders like Raimi's Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire, that was a super spider. That's eight spiders in one. You can't spin no webs, but he finally got organic webs. That's why I like <laughs> Tobey's version. But anyway, this movie wanted us to believe that the strands of DNA had a conference <laughs> and say, we're going to take the ovaries and the uterus from Ripley. So now this thing that doesn't do anything but produce these horrific face hugger, egg, face hugger eggs has ovaries, has a <laughs> cycle, has a human kind of, uh. no, no, no. <laughs> The whole premise <laughs> of the alien is that is alien. <laughs> the whole premise was that we, when we meet the queen, we see her slurping down the eggs with the face hugger inside, and that was so scary. But now she's she's screaming in labor like a human woman would, and she's got two big old external. Oh. Over, I guess I don't know what that was. Y'all can tell me whatever that was. And she's at labor and no, no, Mike, no, 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 no. That's the wrong way to go because just on the science alone, like I said with my Spider-Man example, we finally got a Spider-Man that can shoot webs himself. You know, I, I love that. <clears throat> but, but, but for her to adopt a human reproductive system, now that is not my forte. People that are more learned in that area than me can correct me if I'm wrong. But that whole thing is you would have to have the whole system because where does the seed come from now if she's releasing eggs from ovaries? What, what fertilizes that egg if it's a human system? And is it now uh, because uh, they, they seem to have asexual reproduction for the from for the eggs just from the queen and then we know that the whole thing about how they impregnate living things 
is more like a form of rape or whatever. But we meet the alien king in the books, but it's not in the films. So we can't count that in the films. And so now that changes in terms of the way living things reproduce. That changes everything if she's got that type of thing. And then, you know, I, uh, the other thing is <clears throat> there's an antagonism. So on the one hand, Ripley's human and part alien, and then she's doing the, the electric slide with the boogaloo aliens, and then she meet the queen, and I'm like, wait, y'all need to make up your mind. All these mythology shifts are just hurting my brain. I'm watching, I'm like, no, 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 none of that would happen. That doesn't make any sense. And I'm just like, uh, oh. And we still not to the newborn. Yeah. We're yeah. just talking about the queen. Oh. So let's hear your thoughts about that. Go ahead, Nemesis. since you started talking about the queen being mutated, because I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you hit on, on the, the all the whole, you know, the fact that now that the DNA has somehow transferred between two different species and all of this going on, and you, you talked about just her being there. I think you hit on those points perfectly. But the one thing that really got me here was they're trying to make us buy into this concept that uh, that the alien is almost like symbiotic at a certain level. So there's like a symbiosis, but it goes two ways, you know, so that and that we look at Ripley's case, she got supernatural strength and acid blood and she's tough and all this other stuff. So we figure that we're giving the best treat traits between the two species and the best trait that they gave to the alien queen was a human reproductive system. You didn't get a four chamber heart. You did get increased lung capacity, you know, a, a, a two hemisphere brain, you know, none of that. So it's like, long, I, I just all couldn't all get past all that. All that cool human yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just couldn't get past that point to even get into, you know, as I was watching the film, everything else. I mean, that's the thing with this movie is there's big old huge red stop signs for me everywhere. It's like every direction I try and go, I'm running into a brick wall. I can't get past it, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that's that's where what I really got was like all of a sudden out of nowhere, I've got that. And I was just like, that is a lot you're asking me to digest right now in the, the heat of this moment. So, yeah, it was it was kind of really weird. It was really weird. And uh, the dwarf scientist was there talking about that was Ripley's gift to it. Yeah, I'm a real labor, a <laughs> woman in labor. Yeah, uh -oh. okay. go ahead, Steve. Thoughts about the mutated queen? Really stupid. <laughs> the whole thing is really, really stupid. Uh, you guys both covered on that, a lot of those things, and I, I'm with you, TT. There, where did they get the seed from? Um, you know, did they get it from Dura? I mean, did, do I even know? I don't think I want to know that. I don't think I want to know the answer to that. Because <laughs> <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. But I, I had one other question that kind of came to my mind that immediately took it out of it. If they could adapt a human reproductive system like this, why didn't they do it all the way back in the previous two films? If they had this ability to do this, I don't even believe that it, it's the hybrid aspect. I don't even think that they could do it. If they were able to... Uh, physically adapt, uh, you know, human biology to service us, uh, to, to paraphrase the Borg, then they would have done this when uh, they had the colonists at Hadley's Hope, uh, 
They could have done it with the people on the Nostromo. They didn't do any of this. This is the first time that we've seen it in four movies. You know, they didn't do oh, they didn't do it in the Alien 3 either. So, you know, this is something that they completely, you know, pulled from their posterior on this one completely. It makes absolutely no sense at all. Um, it's not consistent with the alien lore that we've seen. Uh, it's not consistent with, with anything we've seen the aliens do. And it's not uh, internally consistent in any sort of biological way, even the, in, in by, even by comic book or, or, sci or you know, sci type of science. There is no way that you can make me believe that they would have adapted this. And plus, I don't even think they need a human re reproductive system. Uh, they have a much better one just implanting eggs into hosts. <laughs> you know, why, why, you know, that, they've already said it's, it's the ultimate survivor. You know, it's already designed to be the ultimate survivor. What do they need humans for to, uh, to adapt them for? This, this, they're trying to make them the biological version of the Borg. Uh, except that it makes absolutely no sense the way that they've executed it, um, and it, and honestly, I just find all of this it, all of this laughably bad. All of it is just makes me laugh. It's just it's just that ridiculous. So I mean, honestly, this movie is getting into so bad it's good territory with how absolutely ludicrous it is because I can't take any of it seriously. It's 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 awful. Now, uh, before I throw it to Bracey, uh, like we talked about before at the end of Aliens. Where the story wanted to go was going back to their home world and seeing where they came from and giving Ripley Hicks and Newt some type of conclusion. What I would have wanted to see based on this idea was them doing like predators would do in terms of, let's say there's a mutated one of them and then the other aliens would attack that one because it's weak or different. That is something yeah, they, we did, could buy. they did something similar with the Daleks and Doctor Who. Yeah. Right. So so we could understand that from a, a Earth-based point of view, that if there's any type of predatory creature, living thing, and it detects weakness, if there are other enemies that are its predator, it's going after the weak one, the way you know, felines hunt the, the gazelles with the broken leg of the ones that are running slower. Okay. And so if we had seen a scene on a home world where we see a mutated alien and and it's got something about it that makes it weak or just different and we see the other aliens attacking it i would have bought that but this is just i don't know so thoughts on the mutated queen bracy which sounds like a band mutated <laughs> queen go ahead <laughs> yeah it's fine getting into the the broader aspect of the human alien hybrid uh, that made me think of something very interesting. This would have been uh, an interesting plot point if the alien hybrids were made as a defense against the natural aliens. There's a cool idea right there. There's a cool concept. We have something that's got like a little bit of genetic relation to us, so maybe it's something that's actually controllable, whereas the regular xenomorphs aren't. Uh, although... Uh, you can't get anything good out of us from the alien because as Ash has told us, perfect organism. So what do the aliens get from us? Uh, they get only weakness. We get something we've never seen in the aliens before. They turn on each other, even if it's strategically, they turn on each other. Hive creatures don't do that. And uh, the aliens have been established as a hive creature. They, you wouldn't see a bunch of bees sacrifice another bee to, uh, to escape an enclosure. Uh, so I found that, uh, kind of interesting thinking about that and then 
once again, we dumbed down the alien queen by giving her a reproductive system. So two questions come to that immediately. First of all, who impregnated her? Uh, secondly, where do all the eggs come from? If this thing has a human reproductive system, uh, where's where's the ovipositor? Why? What's been laying the eggs? Surely not this thing. I don't think they've all been coming out of a vagina. And like Steve said, the alien as she was is far superior to creating an army of creatures to serve her than something with a reproductive system, even if it seems to have uh, an accelerated uh, faculty to it. I, I don't buy this thing laying eggs. And so because of that, I don't buy any of the eggs that they've had previously. So there's huge plot holes right there. And all it does is, uh, is weaken the alien. And as a further trivia note of uh, travesty here, uh, they didn't actually have an alien queen for the production, and they found out that somebody had the uh, the full-scale head uh, left over from the Aliens movie, and they got it from him to use in the film, and then they slapped the face off. It was like, no, don't you destroy that thing. <laughs> so it was oh, like man. insult to injury. You gave, her, you gave her this ridiculous wound, this ridiculous offspring, and then you destroyed this beautiful piece of Stan Winston's work. <laughs> Just abomination, like like the Mister said. Okay, now we're down to the pièce de résistance, the cherry on top of the Sunday, the abomination of all abominations. That just if you had hair, you would scratch it off. You'd be bald headed by the time you get through with this one, because we have come to the newborn. Now, <laughs> I can't make heads or tails of this creature. I just think somebody said sitting in a room somewhere, wouldn't it be cool if an alien had eyes? And I think it's no deeper than that because nothing about it is what Bracey just said. They were already the perfect organisms. They already had a perfect reproductive system. They already, like Ash said in the first movie, could survive anything because remember, the first alien and the queen alien and aliens did not die, they got blown out into space. Okay, the only alien that died was the dog alien in three and this one. So that means they could still be out there somewhere. You never know. But the weakness now, uh, bringing your antagonist down a few notches on the threat ladder is ridiculous. <laughs> and so we get this thing that, wait now, has a pot belly. Now, wait now, wait, wait. <laughs> You know, uh, Bracey said it best, moving away from Giger's biomechanical uh, drawings and story world, because we have the alien homeworld already laid out for us. But moving away from that and becoming more and more organic and now doing this kind of thing, this thing has a shape that is not made for any type of hunting, any type of sleek design or movement. It's absolutely disproportioned with a distended belly and not quite the alien head. And the most it had, I guess, was teeth, you know, or whatever. But in terms of its hunting ability, with what we saw it to be there, you know, that it's just it's just such a step down, it's ridiculous. And then on top of all I've already said, as we said before, Ripley's the mama, or uh, the thing, because the newborn kills the queen alien, 
and snuggles with Ripley. I was like, wait, yeah, hold on just a minute. This thing really think that Ripley is the mama? And 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 when they were snuggling, it was, I'm like, how is this thing? Because it did attack the scientists that did, you know, eat a chunk in his head. That's full alien. But when Ripley is cooing like a baby, I'm like, wouldn't no big cockroach with a big belly with diamond teeth made out of peanut butter to be snuggling with Ripley? Hey, what is wrong with y'all? <laughs> so I'm just looking at this thing and I'm just, uh, oh, that's why I never watch this movie, even when it's on TV for free. I have never watched, except to review, obviously. I never yeah. watch this film. If I see it coming on, I'm like, well, that opening sequence is kind of cool. And then, nope, got to go. Because, <laughs> because I'm looking at the newborn, I'm like, there's nothing about this creature that's a good idea. There's nothing about this creature that extends the lore in a positive way. And then it is shocked by Mama Ripley's betrayal of it. And she's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry but you gotta go because it's a predator, but it's nice to her, but it's threatening the robot. So then she used the weaponized acid blood that's now just conveniently whatever she needs it to be. And how does this thing go out? It gets sucked into the vacuum of space one molecule at a time. Yeah? So the original Ripley climbed up against the vacuum of space. And if Bishop hadn't been there to catch Newt, Newt would have been gone. But now this thing, however many generations later, can't pull itself away from a crack on the window that big because now all of a sudden the vacuum of space works like the vacuum of space when you need it to. I, oh. Okay, so anyway, those are my thoughts. I'll throw it out, start with Bracey. What do you think about the newborn, his relationship with Ripley, and how it goes out? Because I don't need to eat a slice of pizza after this. Uh, um, I'm an artist. Uh, um, one of my passions is uh, character and creature design and if you go onto my DeviantArt account at uh, Bracy 100 you'll see many examples of where I've done that on commission and just for myself uh, I've got this whole series inspired by Matt Frank uh, who did Godzilla Neo and uh, I did my own like uh, kaiju recreations done in like you know if I was making the movie today what would I do with it and I, I like that kind of exercise a lot. And I have um, one of the greatest compliments I got given by somebody is they said a lot of my creature designs look like designs done for a movie. Because even with the wildest things I put together, I try to put in a sort of a real world uh, physiological aspect to it. I want to make something that's uh, fantastical, but also has that, that weight of belief to it. Uh, no matter how distorted the uh, the body might be. So, looking at this creature with that sort of a critical eye, I am aghast. Uh, when you learn how to design, if, if you're going to design from a biological perspective, you understand that form follows function. And I love the guys at Amalgamated Dynamics. They do uh, so many great things. You know, Tom Woodruff has been playing the alien himself for forever now ever since Alien 3. Uh, but I don't understand this design. It, it's it's so far below what these guys are capable of, uh, especially if you go on their uh, YouTube channel and see, like, for instance, the 
the designs they created for the Thing prequel that got all replaced by uh, just really awful CGI. And look at the wonderful things they're capable of. And it's like you said, you can look at this thing and it, it doesn't work. It's 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 gangly. It's awkward. It's overbalanced. And worse than that, because we know that the alien is a perfected predatory creature. And this thing, okay, it's strong enough. Like, oh, I'm going to establish myself. I can kill an alien queen with one blow. Okay, do something else cool. Uh, no, I can't because I'm half supermation, half rod puppetry. I, I'm, you know, we're not going to do CGI on this thing because that would just be a bridge too far. And that makes it ridiculous. And uh, by removing the exoskeleton, this thing is uh, just stupid vulnerable. Everything about this thing screams vulnerability to me. It might be strong enough to kill, but it is so vulnerable. I think a pulse rifle would have been all they needed to take it down. It's got vulnerable eyes now that you can see. It, it, it doesn't have an arm or body. It's got these stupid limbs. It's got the pop belly. Uh, and I don't know if you guys uh, have seen this because, like, if you look at maquettes and toys, too, it's got a vagina that runs halfway up that belly, which they probably censored out. And just everything about it just screams, kill me. I'm really kind of easy to kill. <laughs> you know, I might be able to kill you, but you can kill me way better than I can kill you. And that's not what you want in a monster. And everybody knows if you are going to move on a threat, uh, move on with a franchise or even just sequels to a film, uh, there is a purposeful ramping things up. We went from the alien, one very, very scary organism. Aliens, we got a whole bunch of them, but even that wasn't good enough. Camera even up past that. He gave us the alien queen. If you're going to give us the next evolution of the thing, the next dangerous thing, at least do something like, uh, I know you guys are like, uh, kind of hate them, but at least like in Prometheus, we get a really cool antagonist in David. Uh, he's the yep. dangerous thing. He's the next evolution of a dangerous character in a franchise because he is powerful and he's really freaking smart. This thing was garbage, and I'm glad it got flushed out in the space because I hated every second it was on the screen. Every second. That's a very interesting perspective. I'm glad you said all of that because all of that is brilliant. Art Thank design, you. just from an art design point of view, it doesn't work, and and it's it's we need a word that's deeper than lazy because it's deeper than lazy. If this is lazy, it's here. So no, that was brilliant. I'm glad you brought that out. What I would have done, <clears throat> well, I would have had them go back to the home world, and I would have made it be one king in all the universe. Mm. Since it established that there could be more than one queen, I would have made it be because some animals work that way. There's one rooster. There's one, you know, male. And then he impregnates all the females. So on the homeworld, the reveal there in my movie would have been the one alien king, which is the one that goes around. And that's why there's aliens all over the world, because that alien king somehow. That's a good biological perspective that we can understand. And something they actually did in the movie Reign of Fire. They had all these yes. dragons around, and they had one big dragon that was one male. Bird. Right, right. See, so that could have been because we're talking about evolutionary cycles of the creature. That could have been one that made sense. That also would have been a good wrapping up of uh, of Ripley Hicks and Newt's arc, and also yeah. sets up more stories. Because if this thing has been all over, we don't know how many aliens are out there on how many worlds. So you know. But anyway, we got this mess. So go ahead, Steve. Thoughts on the newborn and its design, its relationship with Ripley, and how it goes out. 
It's ridiculous. The whole thing is terrible. Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of in agreement with you. I mean, it, it, it should have upped the threat. That's really what it should have done. You should have found something that was horrific, uh, even scarier than the last creature, because you want, you know, that's what you want to do, you, especially for the basically what is the final boss of, of the of the arc of the story. Uh, so it needed to be something that was much much more threatening. And so what we have is this hideous thing that is not hideous in a scary way, but hideous in a laughable, ridiculous way. And and the thing that loses me is the puppy dog eyes on this thing. You know, it doesn't look like like something that you would be scared of. It looks like something you want to take home and pet and and, and give dog food to. I mean, it's just absolutely <laughs> stupid. And, and it's like I can't take this thing seriously. I can't take seriously. I can't take it seriously as a as a villain or an antagonist. Um, so here I am watching this thing, and it's like no, 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 no. This is ridiculous. And when this thing tries to you know go after Brad Dourif. Yeah, let's leave Ripley over there, and you know we're gonna go and you know go after the queen, and we're and, but we're gonna say that Ripley's the mother. Why? Why does the <laughs> does the creature attach itself to Ripley over its actual parent? What is there about Ripley, you know, that that it that it decides to do that? Like if it, if there had been enough time, you know, for Ripley to bond with the creature and say, okay, you know. Um, you know, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play the mother of this thing so we can get out of here, or some something that would have been clever. Um, yeah. It would have been stupid, but it would at least have been semi kind of plausible. Kind of. No, this is this is just ridiculous. And 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 then you have you know Dorif getting killed in the most ridiculous way. Why did Dorif think that he was going to survive that? Why did you know? Why are you French trying to French kiss this? This this alien newborn thing, and it's just no, no, no. This is dumb. And then and and, you know, and it's just all of this. And then the final the final scenes get even even more stupid. Again, you know how the heck does it end up in the ship? Uh, you know, it's even worse than when it did an alien. They would have noticed this. You know, there would have been a there would have been a weight gain like we've talked about before. It would have been on the ship. You know, there would have been some lag on the thrusters. Why in the world is it on this thing? How did it get in? You know, there was everything was closed except for that one hatch. <laughs> and you would have seen it coming in. No, it just happens to already be in there because what it can teleport all of a sudden. Gee, that's that, that's a new one on me. Uh, and then you have this whole scene where, yeah, let's have a threatened call. Why is it threatening a robot? It, yeah, it, the, the alien queen impaled Bishop, but that's because it was in her way. The call's not in her way. This is this is so dumb, and 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 then the and then let's go ahead and rip off like the last couple first two movies, uh, and using explosive decompression to get rid of the alien because we did that before. Why don't you <laughs> find a new way to do it? At least the the, the bit about using uh, freezing on it in the in the jail cell was different. This you know if it had been something like that, I would have said okay, you know that's a new way of doing it. No 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 no, let's just throw it out into space yet again. I mean, and this is good, and this is, it keeps coming up, and we're going to see it again in Covenant too, and and all of this is just uh, no. The whole thing is a complete fail, complete fail. Ridiculous villain, ridiculous scenes, you know, ridiculous threat, um, things that don't add up and don't make sense, and it's 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 completely laughable and stupid. So uh, I don't know if I had read that that thing had a birth canal. I don't remember, but I keep thinking of it as a. He, but it's actually a girl. So that's that's Ripley 8 and her hybrid daughter. 
we're the birth canal, and it's all just get away from yeah. me. <laughs> if you look so at ahead, me. thoughts on the newborn design relationship with Ripley and how it goes out. Uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> fly. Fly. What, what can you say? Um, you know, it is so bad story-wise. There really is nothing I could add to Steve. And we've said this before. Steve is the most optimistic of all of us. He's like the most kind-hearted of all of us. Yes. So um, I'm going to really touch on a, a couple things story-wise and then um, a couple of the design things. Story-wise, just the whole idea of the, the way this thing looks, it's musculature. It seems like Jeff would say just absolutely inferior to the to the product that came before. So it makes no sense whatsoever there. Not to mention that we have gone, you know, from a, and this is in the design for a second, you've gone from some precise, sleek, new original art form that you've done to a melted candle mess. It's just a mess. It looks like somebody dropped a bunch of clay on the floor. And it ended up in that form and then kind of just did the stick figure treatment for it. And that's what you got. And they trotted it out. They put some of those little bugly eyes on there and they let it out there, you know, which is really disturbing. So then let's go to the next story point. I have a real problem with, you know, there are all the, you know, the premise is, is just dumb. We've got all the problems that Steve was talking about, but then this thing gets sucked up against the window and it's getting like DT said, it's getting pulled out. Right. So I presume like most creatures, unless we're really breaking everything, that as it's bleeding out and being torn apart by the vacuous space, which uh, even then I think the Mythbusters did this and proved that that would, it's kind of a stretch that could happen, but let's put that aside for a second. Um, I'm presuming it's bleeding, right? Mm -hmm. when, when you're inside mm -hmm. again, pulled out, you're bleeding. Well, did this thing, of all the things that it's gotten, I mean, this thing has really been hit with the ugly stick <laughs> it, it, it didn't get the acid blood is that what we're supposed to assume or is there another reason why the hole of the ship just doesn't keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it's melting through the ship that makes no sense whatsoever and then the final thing i'm just gonna say is that um it looks really bad like look at stills from the film and it looks really bad it looks like something from a harry house movie you know, and that's and I'm sorry to even say that because Harry Hamm was brilliant for his time, mm -hmm. but this is 1997. You know that this movie came out, so it's it's not looking brilliant anymore. And then the other part was, and this goes straight to Steve's eyes thing. When I looked at this thing, and I saw the eyes and everything else, I was like, No, they didn't. They brought in the actor who played the melted Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and put him on the screen from Ghostbusters. <laughs> they put him out there. <laughs> yeah. They took him after he got melted at the end of Ghostbusters 1, and they put him right into this movie. That is just disrespectful, and I'm and I really against this movie for that. So. Uh, it's just uh, in, in writers, pay attention. That when you've created something that nobody has anything good to say about, this is a creature that does not have one redeeming quality. It's no. not scary. It's not sleek. It's nonsensical. Uh, it would be a terrible predator 
It's it's a, a girl, kind of like a human girl from the waist down now. It's nothing about it makes any sense. And I'm going to point out, Kenan, off of what Nemesis said, that thing was alive as it was being sucked out because it kept screaming. Yeah. Remember, it keeps oh. screaming until the last little kibbles and bits goes out the window. How? Not, not only that, I mean, we, we kind of talked a little bit about it. You know, you shouldn't make things with the eye of selling toys or statues or anything else. But at the same time, if you do something really cool and it looks really nice, those kind of things happen because people want to buy them. They want to buy artwork. They want to buy. Can you imagine buying the Halion human hybrid body skull? Or action figure and putting that no. on no. your. Uh, and, I don't, and I'll add, they don't have big eyes. I mean, the, the reason that they have big eyes in, in anime is to make them look deliberately cuter. They yeah. put big eyes on something they wanted to make scary. It's stupid. In, in the most, the All most alien collectors I know, nobody has a mechanical toy <laughs> of this thing. With its, with its, it, it's not just that it has a vagina. It's got a couple of saggy teeth on his oh. chest. The, the fact that he's, he's got like this bat-like leaf nose, but there's no nasal cavity connecting the nose. It's just like, it's a nightmare of design. I can't get over how bad it is. Yeah. I mean, seriously, on every level. If, if if you gifted that action figure, and I think there's actually one out there. I can't believe they made it. If you gifted that to a geek friend of yours, they'd wonder what you did to, to, to make you hate them. They really would. They'd be like, what did I do, man? I grill. Yeah. No, yeah, it's awful. Okay, last point. We're coming up on two hours. Last point, um, and here's another one. Now, this last point I'm going to make, we could have done a whole podcast on this. Mm. Okay, and here it comes. Out of all the biggest missed opportunities we've already talked about, we get the literal final shot of the movie of Ripley 8 making it back to Earth. Last lines are, Paul says, what happens now? Ripley says, I don't know. I'm a stranger here myself. Now, wait just a minute. <laughs> the whole biggest running joke, if you will, about the Ripley character is that once she left on the Nostromo, she never made it back to Earth. The closest she came was the space station and aliens, and that's when she was having her bad dreams and she was running the power loader, trying to rebuild whatever life she could after she found out her daughter was dead. But she never actually makes it back to Earth. And then she ends up on Fury and she dies in the molten lava. This creature, however, Ripley 8, the hybrid thing, does make it back to Earth. Now, this to me was just like the ending of Voyager. They didn't seem to understand that the ending of Voyager should have been one more hour showing what happened when they disembarked because they would have immediately seized Seven of Nine. And Janeway would have had to fight. Again, it would have been a completely different fight. If you've got a surviving ex-Borg on your ship back in the Alpha Quadrant, because everything about that's a bad idea. She could have an interplexing beacon built in. There's no way they just walk off a of Voyager, is my point. So just like that, here you've got a Ripley uh, alien hybrid actually coming back to Earth. And they've been selling us all movie long that she has fantastically Ripley's memories, really? 
So now she's in the Earth environment, and you have the most unique creature on Earth is now on Earth. You have a human-alien hybrid with the memories of Ellen Ripley. Now, can you not see that's a whole tome? <laughs> that's mm -hmm. a whole Marvel Universe worth of movies, that kind of thing. And all we get is that one little line at the end, and then the happy people, music, and all that, and that's it, really? And they never revisit that idea. Because what would happen when Wayland Utani or the military or whatever's in existence in that time period discovers that the functioning Ripley clone is actually on Earth? Mm -hmm. What if Call had something built in her that she didn't know about that transmitted that data? I mean, there could be, you know, bounty hunters, there could be headhunters, there could be religious zealots, there could be any number of places you can go if you're going to let this Ripley thing survive to the end and make it back to Earth. And the most we get is a little mountainscape shot and then we never see it again. And out of all the bad ideas in the movie, if you're going to end like that, that should at least have been a setup to the next stage of a thing to where we see what happens with that because there's so many places that goes if she finally makes it back to earth would she have the memories of ripley and try to find because her daughter didn't have any children would she look up anything did your bloodline survive some other kind of way 200 years later what's the technology like on earth i mean just it's a whole story world i'm telling you mm -hmm. and all we get is a little I guess wink at the end, like it's not even that big of a deal. And I was just like, because I thought sure the next movie was going to be The Adventures of Ripley 8. <laughs> I thought sure that's where the franchise was going because, so let me hear your thoughts on that and then we'll wrap up. Let me hear your thoughts on the movie ending on this, this little quip with Ripley and Carl making it back to Earth and then that's all we get, start with Nemesis. Yeah, I, I have the exact same problem that you do for the reasons like what I said, my least favorite character was called because it sounded whiny to me because she was talking about all these things that I know I, I'd never see again. They were just thrown in there to for fake drama as far as I was concerned. <laughs> right. I, I felt the same kind of way here. Uh, I just I had different visions of what could have been, but for I, I just knew it was not going to happen. So much of that wasn't going to happen because for me, my question is, okay, one of the things I have is, is she a good guy or a bad guy, Ripley 8? We really, I don't know for sure. I can't answer that question. But if she gets down to Earth, she's now an invasive species. She's not human anymore. If she mates with a human, what happens? You know, these are the type of things I start to think about. Then I have the whole thing with the android. And, and it sounds like there's like a rebellion going on and things like that. I already know that's not going to, we're not going to go. But there was some really cool stuff there, but it's, that's no longer alien or aliens or anything else. That's number one. That's Ripley eight. You know, if she starts doing that kind of stuff and then, um, but yeah, so it, it just, it asked questions that I didn't even really care to know the answers to anymore. <laughs> and it's, and it set stuff up that you knew was never going to pan out. And, um, I'm one, going back real quick though. I definitely agree. Jeff was talking about how we had seen Cal in Blade Runner. And that's the other thing I was thinking of. It's like, if you want a fan theory about where this movie could have led to, 
the, the numbering on the dates got reset or something because basically you could say that this movie is the beginning of replicates at Blade Runner. You know, yeah. it's like there's some weird alien human hybrid. God, I've, I should be writing for Supergirl now. The alien human hybrid <laughs> and got together with Carl, you know, Ripley and Carl got together and created the first replicate and then some company took it and they, you know, redesigned it. That's how we got replicates and everything leading up to Deckard and all that. So there you go. This wow. alien and Blade Runner tie together. Exactly. Wow. And uh, Ripley A could have started Earth High. Yes. Earth High, the first uh, alien novel. Go ahead, Bracey. Thoughts on the ending with Ripley A? Uh, it's funny. Nemesis talks about the uh, alien Blade Runner connection because Ridley Scott actually did that with Prometheus. Uh, there was some promotional material that came out that wasn't included in the films. And uh, the head of Wayland Utani actually talks about his competitor. Uh, in making uh, humanoids, completely oh. synthetic, you know the replicants are biological recreations of humans, uh, not a, not uh, cyborgs or androids like the uh, like the Whalen Utani stuff is. Ooh, so I the connection, this uh, Scott did go ahead and tie them together. Uh, see, my thoughts upon the ending is, as I said in the uh, in uh, my iteration of the ideas for the film, that when she gets there, because uh, Ellen Ripley, or not Ripley, but uh, Ripley 8 has never really been on anybody's side except her own. You know, her, her famous opening line is, who do I have to F to get off this thing? You know, it's just about survival, which, you know, if she's adapted from the perfect organism, that's uh, precisely what she'd be about. Now, uh, she is on a planet. Uh, she is free from all of her handlers. She finally, for her first time, has agency. What is she going to do with it? As we wondered how the alien queen laid uh, or, or gave birth, my immediate thought is, well, what's going on with Ripley's uh, uh, reproductive system? I kind of envision a scene where, like, she's off alone doing her own thing. Uh, maybe she's had a guy over. The guy leaves. And you see her, like, pulling up her pants. And then, like, she, she turns back, you know, over her shoulder. And there's a closet with several... Uh, like Fabergé sized alien eggs, <laughs> and, you, and you see a skitter of like a, a face hugger or two uh, creeping around, like little hand sized face huggers. Is like, this is how it's going to start. This is how Earth Hive begins. I would totally make her the villain, and that's where I would take my next film. Wow, wow, that still might be interesting to see. Go ahead, see thoughts on Ripley Eight and her ending. Yeah, before I get to that, I'm going to point out this last uh, big problem with the movie, and that is uh, all life on Earth should be destroyed. And the reason I am saying this is you had a massive space station, you know, coming in hot at high speed with a huge amount of mass. Okay, we have seen the actual damage that large meteorites have done to the planet Earth, and they got rid of the dinosaurs, okay? We have had Joss Whedon do a movie in The Avengers about what would happen if a large city-sized uh, you know, <laughs> object you know, falls from a great height into the planet Earth, okay? This freaking installation, had it crashed, <laughs> should have ended the planet Earth, okay? And, and no, everything's fine, it just crashed and it's okay. No way. Everybody on Earth should have been dead, except for the people on the ship. Okay? 
So yeah, there, there's your last big plot hole before uh, we get away from this. Um, yeah, they, wow. they missed so many opportunities with this. Um, you know, you had the Firefly crew and Ripley 8 and all that. Um, I like the relationship that could have been between her and Call, because you have Ripley, who is this ultimate survivor, who is definitely not somebody with uh, moral agency uh, in the way that Ripley was. And she's trying to learn to be human. And meanwhile, you have the robot, who is all about being human, you know, who is connecting to Ripley. So you could have had a really great relationship between the two with Ripley adopting Call as like her new nuke. Hmm. Uh, she could have played that role very, very well. And I, and I think you could have had a new family uh, between them and the, and the remaining crew of the Betty. And what I probably would have done after that would have been, okay, they're going to go and find out the source of these aliens, and they're going to destroy them. You know, all of these guys together going out, hunting aliens, find the, finding the alien homeworld, uh, and getting to the bottom. Well, I, I, there's no point in getting to the bottom of the conspiracy, really, unless they're on another planet. Because, you know, Earth is destroyed at this point. <laughs> there's nothing left of it. <laughs> so, yeah, so they go out and go ahead and do that. And I, and I think that you could have had a really, really great uh, movie with the, you know, with the, the not Firefly crew and Ripley and all of that, just going out and being alien hunters. And, and you could have had an entire franchise uh, based on that. And you could have had some pretty good stuff there. Um, you know, you could have Ripley be the captain. You know, you, there's there's no reason why she couldn't have been by that point. Um, so, yeah, you, you get all, yeah, and you got a lot of really decent characters there still. I mean, you've got Pearlman, uh, you know, you've got uh, the, the Breeze, who was okay. Uh, so you had, you know, these characters that you could have developed and made, you know, into that kind of family crew. And you could have had them go out and, and hunt aliens and, and you would have had plenty of room in which to, to build more films. Uh, there are so many missed opportunities in addition to the, the horrible plot that they left this ending. What an absolute mess. <laughs> absolute mess. Alien resurrection, abomination, absolute mess. So uh, I'll wrap um, everything up by saying, this is why you want to work on your craft. This is why you want to get your script tight. If you ever want to make a film, every element of a film has to come together from the script to the casting, lighting, directing, producing, makeup, uh, sound effects, sound design, the score, which is not the same as the soundtrack, uh, editing, runtime, you name it. Uh, a movie is many, many different musical parts, but very uh, moving parts, not musical parts, moving parts, but very few movies fail like Alien Resurrection. Like I told you at the top of the podcast, it fails from the premise and then the fail just multiplies exponentially as the movie develops. And that's just a shame. You know, this seems to be, um, I don't know, maybe by the time you get to the fourth installment of a franchise, you need to maybe bring in a new crew you know, Superman 4, Rocky 4, Alien 4, I don't know. I don't know. They're tuning up now for Matrix 4. I don't know. I'm just kind of waiting to see on that one. But um, uh, the thing I said originally is still what I stand by. Uh, the conclusion to the Ripley Hicks Newt era was literally none of what we wanted, but it was concluded. Mm -hmm. And they should have left it at the end of the last movie. And all of the ideas that we've been banning about during this podcast, any one of those ideas could have been a, a wonderful starting point for where this franchise could have gone because, because some of the ideas in it really are viable 
but the way it's done here is just it's just ridiculous and you know you can remember drake and vasquez and spunkmeyer and Farrell and hicks and hudson and where's basky and a poem you can, besides call you can't remember these people's names what they <laughs> names you don't remember their names you only remember their faces because they did have a good cast playing them but you don't even remember the names that's how far we've gotten in two movies okay so just to all you writers and directors out there you know take some time to learn your craft it's like bracy said just just creature design mm. just the art design just the functionality just the idea of creating a predator-based creature means it needs to act that way just so many different things that needed to line up for this film that unfortunately did not and so you know so this is the end of the ripley era and it's a shame that it goes out like this we do have a lot of continuation in the novels and the comics and the video game like alien isolation some of those work better than others some of those don't work at all but this is the end of it for the movies and you know just what a way to say goodbye to one of the greatest screen characters we've ever seen ellen ripley's one of the greatest female action heroes sci-fi horror leads we've ever seen and this is how it goes out so, uh, this is not even a whimper this is a head scratch is a what what we just watched what like that no no don't like that but it is what it is so more films to go after this where they go after this is up for debate that's what we're going to debate uh next time just you know everything that happens after this point is i i, I don't know we'll just save it for the next podcast but it's interesting too let me put it that way so i want to thank my co-hosts as always uh just for bringing it bringing the good discussion bringing the great ideas bringing you know what we could have done because we become better as writers and we become more appreciative as fans every time we do one of these podcasts every time you peel the layers back of something and look at it critically you become a smarter fan and you become a better writer and that's why we do what we do so I want to thank Nemesis. Thank you so much, Nemesis. No problem. I uh, love talking about this stuff with you guys. And I do have to say, thinking about, you know, summing up how I feel about this, I just say the first two movies was the building of intellectual property that just happened to find itself in a movie. The third movie was the stretch of too many cooks in the kitchen. But this is one of the first movies I ever watched where the whole intellectual property was only a vehicle for them to be able to create a movie and tell a story, someone else's story. It's the first time that I remember seeing a science fiction movie that had nothing to do with its original property and was merely a vehicle to create a movie and do something else. And that's, that's really, really terrible. I had thought about it from that point, but that's true. Very I mean, true. What, was it made just to hold on to the rights? Probably. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Like the underground Fantastic Four, right? Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much, Bracey. Uh, you can throw in some final thoughts if you got them. I do. And uh, in, in a way, it goes back to what Nemesis just said. Uh, for those of you out there who are creating the uh, future of the franchise or have similar ideas, when you have an original movie uh, that's based, the, the, the thing that makes the movie is the most uh, original and horrifying alien creature design ever seen up to that point in film, 
do not follow it up with something that looks like the newborn. Take your design <laughs> and hold it up to the Giger design and ask yourself, is this truly a worthy successor? And if it's not, don't do it. Just don't. Now, based on what Bracey just said, let me just throw this in. Don't fire everybody that made your first movie successful. <laughs> you want to throw yeah. that out. Steve, you get the last word. Thank you so much, Steve. And final thoughts. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I will say, um, as far as this movie, this is a movie that I honestly find uh, unintentionally hilarious. And the only value that I have for this movie is to laugh at it, because that's the only thing that you really can do with some of this stuff. It is the kind of movie where you, at least you can sit there and you can riff on it. And and so at least there's that small value. But and, and the worst of it is, is that these are all talented people that made this movie. They're, even then with the last movie was the same. They were all talented people. It's not like any of these people were like total hacks and that don't know what they're doing. And, you know, some of them may have been inexperienced, you know, maybe Joss Whedon, you know, that wasn't ready to make a movie like this or write a movie like this. Uh, you know, maybe there was a disconnect, but there is nobody who is actually a bad performer or a bad writer or in terms of talent. It's just that um, the studio wanted to continue a story that had already basically been finished with a second one, and uh, they had nowhere to go with it. They had, to, and, and really, they had a character who was dead. They had to find a way to bring her back, and they do it in the most stupid way possible. And then they just don't know what they're doing with any of it. So uh, ultimately, ultimately, it's a waste of potential, uh, but with the property and uh, with the talent. And it's all because you know studios want to make money rather than because they had a story they were at rather uh, that they had to tell. And so I will leave you with this, and that is, uh, don't take the skies from me. <laughs> and on that note, dead character, stupid resurrection, money grab. <laughs> We'll see you on the next episode of Sloppy Spoilers. Spoilers.